and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. It is a low-key video game podcast, and my name is still Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. We are also joined today by our very talented editor and good friend. Paper Mario, it's me! <laughs> ah, hello, I've come to the third dimension. It's Hellscape. You thought I was gone. You thought I left, but I'm still here. Paper I've been, Mario's I've just true been between your the little space between your desk and the wall the whole time. <laughs> oh my God. What if Paper Mario was the villain of a Mario game? Like big late game reveal in like the next main like Super Mario Odyssey 2 comes out. You don't know who the villain is until the end is Paper Mario. We're starting off so strong here. Anyway, um, <laughs> Paper Mario is the villain because he's upset yeah. that he has to live in two dimensions. They're like, right. the villain told us to meet us here. Where is he? This place is just full of walls and cobblestone streets with small cracks in them. He just yeah. turns slightly. <laughs> And then Guigi emerges from the ground being like, that's oh his my. sidekick, you know? Oh my <laughs> yes. God, I love this, like, League of Villains. This is great. Yeah. Yeah, alternate matter Mario Brothers are the are the new villains. The new, it's the new wave, you know? <laughs> yeah. Coming yeah. 2025, Mario Secret Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's coming together. Anyway. And so, Rabbids. And <laughs> <laughs> Today, we are discussing the <clears throat> classic, I almost said cult classic, I think it's just the classic, uh, Paper classic. Mario. For the N64, the beloved original, it was a follow-up to Super Mario RPG on the Super Nintendo. But I would say in like a big way, Paper Mario kind of introduced the idea of like Mario RPGs as its own series to the mainstream. I think it was like, I, I love Super Mario RPG. I haven't replayed it in a long time, but I would say that that game, at least from my perspective when I was like a little kid, it seemed more like a fun like twist like, I feel like the marketing of Super Mario RPG was similar to, like, the pre-launch marketing of Kingdom Hearts, where it was like, wouldn't it be funny if this existed? Yeah. Uh, and then in both cases, they were, like, great games. Wildly successful. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I think with Super Mario RPG, I, I would say, just based on my times replaying it recently, I would say that, that game serves mostly as a proof of concept for Paper Mario and the games that followed. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're all great in their own way. But we're discussing the original. This was, It's worth mentioning this was initially produced as Super Mario RPG 2 like when they started working oh, wow. on this game really? like there is there is footage of this game with the title Super Mario RPG 2 like on the on the uh, menu screen uh, which is pretty wild Whoa. but because of the like really horrible like breakup like corporate breakup that Nintendo and Square Enix had just you know like some weird C-suite executives getting mad at each other I guess and affecting everybody who works below them unfortunately <laughs> they were like oh we need to completely you know veer off course and figure out something new for this and then they were like well it looks like paper <laughs> I guess <laughs> uh, and that's and that's how we got paper Mario I always thought it was a reference to like pen and paper RPGs was that not the case I have no idea I don't know how they actually landed on the title of paper Mario outside of they needed to not call it super they Mario RPG 2 yes got Ooh. it I mean that was around I imagine this is not unrelated but that was around the same time Final Fantasy went to Sony because this is like a few years after FF7 came out yes directly related to this yes yeah okay cool Got it. Ooh. Got it. Wow. A lot of drama. Lots of corporate drama. Yes. I, I'm really fascinated by the history. I know you have done a little bit more investigating into like what surrounded this game, Brendan, which we'll get into, I'm sure. But as we usually do, I wanted to start with kind of our subjective histories with this game. Uh, AJ, I know this is maybe your favorite game of all time. Uh, so I'd love to hear you first, like what this game kind of means to you now and, and all that. Yeah. Answer the question uh, directly. Is this your favorite game of all time? <laughs> I think so. Honestly, replay oh, yeah. oh, 
yeah. replaying it now, I'm like, man, this game, I feel like holds up in a lot of ways. And especially with the emulator thing on Switch, being able to just create safe states at any time is amazing. So helpful. It's really good. And yeah. there have been times, honestly, where I had forgotten to do it for like 20 minutes. So I had to go back like I had just saved at a regular save block anyway. And that was just annoying. But that's not a, a Paper Mario problem. That's just old games. But yeah, so uh, I mean, growing up, I I am the youngest of uh, four siblings. I'm the fourth sibling and my closest sibling is eight years older than me, my brother. Wow. So we didn't have a whole lot in common growing up, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, but we had a Sega Genesis that we all played the shit out of Hell together, yeah. you know, uh, individually, whatever. And then I think if it weren't for me, we probably wouldn't have gotten an N64. But I was, you know, six or whatever in 1999. And we went to uh, BJ's Berkeley and Jensen's Wholesale Club. Uh, and they had a, a bundle of the N64. 64 with Donkey Kong 64 it came with the yellow cartridge. Oh, uh, nice. You need the expansion pack for that one. Yeah, yeah baby. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I saw it and I was like, I want an N64. And my dad said, no. And then I, we went out. <laughs> so the N stands for an N64. He said no 64 times to you at BJ's. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I saw it when we walked in and then the whole time around it was like, I want an N64. Uh, and so then we left Sans N64 and I was heartbroken. I think this is probably the most upset I had ever been, which says a lot about my childhood. I think I had a pretty, <laughs> pretty fine childhood uh, and I got very upset. And my dad, I don't know, instead of just like driving away and letting me cry, went inside and bought me the N64. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> which like, par- I, you know, whatever. I don't want to judge my parents parenting. Um, So we had an N64 and... Uh, you know, that that really became kind of a thing for me and my my brother to do together because, you know, mm-hmm. I was six or seven and he was 14 or 15. Uh, and then my sisters are two and four years older than him. So they were like late into high school. So we got in 64. They were doing the high school thing. Me and my brother were playing that. Uh, and then I guess it was Christmas the following year or something. Um, you know, I had gotten Paper Mario. I had seen the, uh, the incredible ad uh, of a literal paper cutout of Mario trying to save Princess Peach from being shredded by a shredder that uh, Bowser was suspending her over. And I was like, this looks like fun. That commercial was such a like it was such a success as a commercial or as like its yeah. own just video that a lot of my friends who, to be fair, were nine at the time. Yeah. Uh, a lot of my friends just thought that game was a joke. Like they, It didn't actually exist. That was like yeah. a bit on some show that was like making up a Mario game. So when <laughs> I actually had it, they're like, that's a real game. That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it does. It comes across like that. And I feel like a lot of the stuff in the game, too, is poking uh, poking fun at the fact that it is a a game and B paper. Uh, But yeah, so so, you know, we we got that the following Christmas and then played the hell out of it, played it a whole bunch. I don't remember when we got the strategy guide, if the strategy guide came with the game when we got it. But I do have the strategy guide that we had from the year 2000. And the cover you can see has has ripped off from the amount of times we have opened and closed the strategy guide because. Uh, I don't remember exactly when in in my brother and I's first playthroughs, but somewhere along the line, he had he had made me a bet. There's no like prize for winning, but the bet was the first person to beat Paper Mario 50 times <laughs> wins. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, OK. And so I am now uh, this current playthrough, I believe, is my fifth, maybe my sixth. Got ways to go. <laughs> I've got a ways to go. So this yeah. is like a lifelong bet. It wasn't like by summer. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> no, it's a lifelong. Wow. bet. I think within the first like two years or so, I think we had both hit like three or four 
But this sounds like a stealth study of like our video games dangerous for kids. Like, you know, like an anonymous <laughs> child was gambled to play this game 50 yeah. times. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, so, so, you know, that happened. And then that just became this game kind of became a constant for me, for us. And like I had I have a, I still have my my N64 library, but I think we only ever had like eight games in total. Like we had Star Wars Episode One Racer. We had Paper Mario. I never had uh, Zelda. I never had uh, Mario 64. I never had a Mario Kart. The only like big quote unquote game I had was like Smash Bros, which is still great. But so Paper Mario just took up a lot of my time and enjoyment with the N64 and uh, is great. I love it a whole lot. Uh, I'm I, I didn't manage to finish it for this episode, uh, but I got nearly to the end. And so I'm I'm having a great time i'm gonna finish it probably within the next couple of days we'll re-record once you beat it 50 times we'll <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll hop back on yeah i'm curious was this your first jrpg was this like your intro to the genre yeah it was cool yeah i had no experience with any kind of turn-based battle game you know i had a game boy <clears throat> color uh that i would just play you know the original mario brothers on and not much else. I actually, this might, that might be a lie. What I just said to you, uh, I think <laughs> I, I can't remember the order of operations, but I did have dragon warrior monsters, oh, which nice. is, which oh, is yes. an RPG or a JRPG. Yeah, and is. I did play the shit out of that as well. That's a great game. It's, yeah. it's tons of fun, but I also, I don't know if it was that game didn't have like a save state or I was just too young to know how to save or whatever, but I only ever did the first like couple hours every, uh, uh, I feel like time, I had a couple so of I, games like that too when I was a kid for some reason that I just like yeah. never saw. There, there was specifically you might have played this. I don't know on the Sega Genesis, uh, a game mm. called uh, Mickey Mouse's Adventures or something like that, uh, where you like travel through the entire history of Mickey Mouse. So like oh. the first, the first level is Steamboat Willie, and it like goes from black and white into color, and then the second mm. level is like mickey going through this haunted horrible place that's apparently like the next big cartoon that he was starring in etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm. and it was so difficult and i didn't know how to like enter in codes to skip levels so i just oh. only did the first level over yeah. and over again every once in a while made it to the second one nice yeah i was almost scared of the concept of beating a game as a kid because <laughs> i didn't want it to end i thought that like once i finished it it would like actually be done for me yeah mm. that does in some way speak to the appeal of RPGs because I think that they are you know other games like Smash Brothers like Mario Kart are games you can always revisit but they're they're gamier in structures it's more right. like I'm getting in a race or a round with friends whereas an RPG is a is a scripted story that you can revisit more akin to like a movie or a book mm -hmm. or a TV show mm -hmm. and as a kid I mean I loved like I have probably played through Ocarina of Time over 50 times now <laughs> but usually those playthroughs were me getting to the water temple and then just starting over. <laughs> um so like yeah up to the water temple i had that game like kind of memorized like when i played yeah. the 3ds remake earlier this year which is incredible by the way get it while you can <laughs> I was actually disturbed at how much I knew that like I could feel when it was a look at a guide moment. I'm like, oh, I know how to hatch the cuckoo to wake the guy up. Like, I shouldn't know this. <laughs> this is the guide moment that you need to look up in 2022. Yeah. And Paper Mario definitely has a lot of those, <laughs> I will say right off the bat. They're <laughs> not excruciating, but there are a couple like the, the big standout for me is um, there's a moment where there are a bunch of toads that are blocking a road that are actually Cooper Brothers in disguise. 
Yeah. And in order to get them to move, they say, don't talk. You better not talk to Merlin or whoever the psychic is. Yeah. And if you talk to him, he just tells your fortune like normal. You have to talk to him across the table. You have to walk. <laughs> like usually you talk to him from across the table. You specifically have to talk to him, like facing him to trigger the event that gets them to move. And like that stuff is, is I got to look at a guide in 2022. That, that did fuck me up on this playthrough to be clear. Like that really? actually, I was stuck on that for a long time and refused oh to look gosh. up a guide for a while. And I eventually <laughs> had that realization. It, it drove me up a wall. I'm so curious how much of that stuff is in this game. Cause playing this game half a dozen times, there are certain things that are just like ingrained in me totally uh, and i guess that's one of them that's why i brought it up yeah like ff7 is full of that like one of the moments of that game i talk about constantly is this like moment of overwhelming like freedom joy and terror at the fact right. that the world is bigger than midgar and the first <laughs> thing you have to do is something like talk to merlin across the table yeah. <laughs> like you've got to go to a farm and get a specific materia to avoid a big snake but i just know it so like i'm not i'm not saying this to say that this makes paper mario bad or good it just yeah, it is yeah, funny yeah. when we have this like really ingrained relationship with a with an rpg especially especially from this time there are just moments like that that come off like charming to someone right. who has like absorbed it into their dna yeah but become walls to someone trying <laughs> to get into it today hello <laughs> Hey, Brandon, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm curious about your relationship with the other Paper Mario games a yeah. after this one. Like, so you've played this one now half a dozen times uh, <laughs> yeah. on your on your way to 50. Uh, but what about the other <laughs> games? How, how are you feeling about them? And also, I guess we should include the Mario and Luigi games. Yeah. In that. Yeah. So uh, Thousand Year Door came out in what? Like 02, 03, something like that. Got it immediately because I knew I wanted to play it. Love that game. Played so much of it, got to the last boss, which has several stages, and I could make it through the first two big stages. And then there was a final stage that I did not have enough resources, like items or levels or whatever. Mm. And I was like, for like a year, would like pick it up on and off. And it's like, maybe that was just a fluke. Maybe I could do it this time and just couldn't. And I refused to go back and like get the things I needed. Uh, and so I, I believe probably if you open up my game, my thousand year door copy on my GameCube, that is the only save file on that game. But I loved it. That game is so mm. much fun. I think it improves a whole lot on the Paper Mario formula. I think when it first came out, I was weirdly uh, like indignant about the fact that like, I can't believe how how much they're leaning into the, the paper aspect of it. Uh, as if in some <laughs> somehow in Paper Mario, the original, it was like some like thing that they were just like skirting under the radar. Meanwhile, one of the first things that happens is Mario falls off a patio and then floats down like a piece of fucking paper. Yeah. Yep. Um, so the, yeah, I, I don't know really what my beef was there, but, but that game rules. It's so much fun. That and game then, definitely had a bit of like a Majora's Mask playoff because like, yeah. I feel like I didn't hear a lot about it when it came out. And now it's like, yes. if you're a Paper Mario fan, that's the one you point to and like yeah. demand more of basically. Yeah, I think so. Cause I think at like first glance, it does just look like more Paper Mario, which it is, but like tweaks to hell. Like it's, it's so much tighter, mm. uh, uh, than, than the original, uh, from what I remember. 
remember. And that was over, I don't know, probably over 15 years ago that I played that game last. Yeah, I played the very, I'm like very early on in Thousand Year Door. Actually, yeah. someone, I, I wanted to get it for a long time for this show because I never played it. And then I found out it's like absurdly expensive if you want to get even a used copy. It's one right. of those games. A really kind listener sent me their copy. So I do have yeah. it now and I did start it, but I, I haven't gotten far enough to really comment. But I have more on that that I think I want to save for later. But sure. I just wanted to touch on that briefly. And then there was the Wii one that came out, Super Paper Mario, which I also yeah. love. I think that game rules. It's so much fun from what I remember. Um, I borrowed it from a neighbor and I think didn't give it back. Um, <laughs> so, so I still have it. Uh, Brandon, if you're listening, no, you can't have it. Can I ask you a question about that well, game real quick? Because I don't know, sure. really know a whole lot about it outside of yeah. I think it has the, the thing where you can switch back and forth between. Yeah, that's 2D the whole thing. Is it's, it's a perspective thing. So it's like a, a 2D platformer a la the original Mario Brothers. And then you can flip yeah. to like looking down that track. Right. Uh, and it has, you know, the different depth. Yeah. Well, Out of curiosity, how much is there in that game by way of like needing the Wiimote and motion controls? Motion controls. I vaguely remember maybe some twist stuff. Mm. Um, But like to 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 switch perspectives and stuff, I think it's just like you hit the A button. Cool. Um, I think you can like like the 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 control the controls you could use, I think, were only the Wiimote. Like, I don't think it was a nunchuck Wiimote game. It was like just a sideways Wiimote. So to switch, you would nice. hit the A button. Okay. Um, so I don't think there's a lot of motion stuff, but there might be a point where like you have to turn a dial or something and you yeah. have to have to do it. Um, but I don't completely remember. Okay. We've yeah. just gotten a lot of questions and we're going to be answering questions later, but we got a lot of questions about like our feelings on the other Paper Mario games. And yeah. honestly, in receiving those questions, I realized there are way more Paper Mario games there's that I even lot. realized existed. Uh, yeah. That was one that I had no knowledge of at all. And Ugh. I'm like, oh man, how do I go and play this? Like, I think it'll be very difficult to get a Wii and a copy of that game uh, if I were yeah. to guess. So I'm wondering like if emulation is the way, but also, mm. you know, are the motion controls going to hold me back from that? Yeah. Anyway, I sorry. I don't think so. I think it was, it was late enough in the Wii's life that it wasn't like fully tied to like swinging the Wiimote to do a thing you oh, know even Nintendo was like eh, maybe not anymore yeah, maybe not <laughs> you um, were good on this. there was a period where they're like you can just use the GameCube remote right. I'm sorry we tried something new it's fine yeah exactly um, but no I think that game's great I think the comedy in that game is like at its peak I, that mm. game is so funny the main villain in that game is named Count Black and like that's <laughs> how it's spelled it's like B-L-E-K-G-H or something it's so funny that's awesome and, and yeah I, I, I think that game's great but that is when they I think after the like Nintendo, you can't do anything to our enemy characters to make them likable or whatever. So all your companions are just like little floating squares or something. Oh, man. Uh, that was also when they dropped the RPG stuff. That was like the the game that yes. got rid of it, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not. Oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm just th it is an action. Game. Yeah, sorry. I just started thinking about like the the, the later later part of that game stuff stuff gets kind of wild anyway and then that's kind of where i stopped uh mm. i knew you played mario and luigi too right I, yeah so 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 then mario luigi superstar saga i had a friend that had it on game boy i played it on his game boy and then i got it and i beat it or maybe almost got it whatever i beat it lost it and i haven't played it since <laughs> So <laughs> Sorry. A lot, there's a lot of like missed connections in this history. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's like the, keeping you know, a that's... game from a friend, not giving it back. <laughs> like the, losing the... it. There's a lot of miscommunication. The miracle of hardware, you know, the miracle of needing an yeah. actual cartridge and stuff to, to play a thing. <laughs> but yeah, kids these days just won't get that. <laughs> Sorry. 
so yeah, uh, I had played the original and then that's kind of, I, I think I transitioned away from Paper Mario into the Mario and Luigi games Yes. Um, with Superstar Saga and then Partners in Time and then um, Bowser's Inside Story. I think those were the only three that I played. No, yeah. there's the sleep. Those are the only the, three. There's the sleep one. The one where you have to go inside uh, Luigi's dreams. Luigi's dreams, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Which was also fun. I think that was kind of like the last, I I like played that one. I was like, this is fine. We're not really doing anything uh, wild here. Um, And then, uh, and that was kind of it. I I didn't, I I have Sticker Star. I played a bit of Sticker Star. It's fine. It gets really repetitive really fast. I think the, the, like the use of stickers and stuff is a cool idea, but there's like, it's basically like a deck builder, if I'm remembering it correctly, and you have to use the stickers to like, like do a attacks little bit. And yeah, stuff. I've actually I played a bunch of Sticker Star weirdly, sure. also alongside uh, the original in preparation for this episode, and mm. I found fa- I understood immediately why it's one of the like less liked games in the franchise. I would say yeah. just because it adds this uh, element of scarcity to your ability to attack and defend right. and do things in this in that game, where you need yeah. to go around the world and find stickers that you use to jump on an enemy or attack it's not just like a thing you choose from a collection of actions that you always have access to it's like no you can run out of the ability to jump yeah Uh, it's very strange which is rough yeah but uh, I never played Color Splash, which I only recently this week realized was a Wii U game. It is a Wii U uh, I thought game. that was also a 3DS game. Uh, and then I did not play the crossover Mario Luigi Paper Jam game or whatever, where you play oh, yeah. as Mario Luigi and Paper Mario. Uh, I, I had not played that one. I don't know anything about it. I have never seen anybody ever talk about that game. <laughs> Uh, and it's it just a dream. Yeah, yeah it kind of seems like one of those things that's just like this is just throwing stuff together for the sake of throwing it together. And I played a bit of Origami King, but uh, fell off in the second chapter, I think. Mm. But so that's that's my whole history with the Mario. That's RPG. AJ's oh, yeah. whole life. That's everything uh, that AJ's enough. done from birth until right now. Oh, actually, somewhere in there in college or late high school, I play. I got an emulator of Mario RPG played mm. up to the pirate boss. And then the emulator I had every time I would beat the pirate boss would crash <laughs> every time. I did it like four times. Oh, that's sad. And it would just keep crashing. So I got. I would say probably three quarters of that game. I don't actually know. Uh, and then, and then it, uh, stopped working. <laughs> so, Dunked. Yeah. I had that a bit in our DS preparation. There were a sure. couple of games where it just chose a moment to be my ending. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, you're done now. You've actually finished the game. Cooking mama two ends with making a cake uh, for me. <laughs> this um, is the Steven ending. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for sharing all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Brendan, did you want to quickly share yours uh, and then I can share mine before we kind of talk more singularly about the game? Quickly is the operative word here. Um, what's interesting about my relationship with this franchise is that it's all documented like on our podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, I have uh, experienced everything in the Paper Mario franchise and everything in the Mario and Luigi franchise like on the show, which has been very cool uh, because I, I came into the show with not a lot of like turn based combat background and then eventually was like, I need to see nintendo's take on this and have played a bunch of them but that having been said i did play a bunch of sticker star in preparation for this episode because it was one that i had access to on the 3ds uh you know going through and trying to buy stuff before that shop closes um and had a really interesting time with that game i think it's i think it's gorgeous and it looks phenomenal on the 3d screen i mean it is like really good yeah, it's it's unreal how good that game looks uh, on the 3DS screen. But, you know, the game is 
kind of rough. Uh, Origami yep. King is the one that I've made it the furthest in. Uh, that is a wow. game that, <laughs> Stephen, you and I had a lot to say about. Just oscillating between, like, I love this game, but I hate the combat. But the game is really <laughs> great, but the combat's so rough. But, you know, I, everything yeah. about it is wonderful. And the comedy and the everything is, blah, blah, it's so good. And then, It's a very frustrating game. Yeah. yeah. It's a frustrating game to play because of the unevenness. I mean, I, th- I think, like, a big talking point when discussing this series is, like, whether or not the series should return to the RPG origin. Yeah. And Origami King is kind of like a halfway point. And yeah. my thing is, like, if you look at the history of Paper Mario, the games that are RPGs are better than the rest. But mm-hmm. I don't think that means that the series has to be an RPG. I think it just has to know what it wants to be. Yeah. Because every other game has replaced the game with, like, sort of a weird idea that doesn't quite stick with anything else you know so like origami king was like on one hand a turn-based rpg but like dear listener uh i forgot that this weekend there's like a weird fighter jet event over (laughs) chicago so i'm gonna do my best truly it's actually a thing i'm gonna do my best to not bring up hot paper mario takes while the literal <laughs> military is intimidating the city of chicago uh but wow sorry dude, top gun maverick is still in theaters despite coming <laughs> out in may there's a there's an origami king fan in the sky right now yeah. <laughs> i should be careful but i think actually i'm curious to play super paper mario because that game seems like it had the strongest idea of like what to center the game around yes than the other ones did and I think, right. I think that's the bigger problem not that like oh it's not an rpg anymore but like oh it's like it's got all the writing and the character and the story and the presentation that you want but like the skeleton of the game is gone and replaced with like in sometimes literal confetti so like what do we do with the game itself yeah right? with that game i feel like it it is so confused about where to take that franchise like it's having this identity crisis about what paper mario even should be in lieu of having rpg elements that it just kind of like gets lost in its own sauce in a way uh, it never really lands on anything um so you have a lot of the tentpole stuff the art direction's amazing. The music is wildly good in that game. It's mm. so beautiful. All the writing is so funny. Like, there's so much fun to be had in that game, but, like, mechanically, that game is in shambles. I mean, there's really not a lot going on there. So, my experience with this franchise started with that. Started with Origami King, and then I was like, let me start going backwards. Started experiencing the Mario and Luigi stuff, which as we've noted many times on the show, but it's worth saying, like, definitively here, is kind of the, kind of the deviation point as Paper Mario started to become something else. Nintendo recognized the need to continue this RPG element of of Mario uh, and created the Mario & Luigi franchise as a way to kind of serve that audience. And I have adored all the stuff I've played on that side of things. Like all of the stuff that's like really RPG centric, I think is incredible. It like retains all of the stuff about uh, attacking and using timing to attack and block and, you know, um, do all of this interesting stuff by way of like using the various abilities you have versus certain enemies to uh circumvent like they have a spike on their head so don't jump on them hit them with a hammer things like that like all that stuff is retained in mario and luigi and that raises this huge question of like what is paper mario then if you can just take all of that stuff and put it in a different franchise so all that having been said i was really interested to go back to the beginning with paper mario and say like okay what is this game that everyone tells me like is 
this like tentpole Nintendo franchise. Where where did it go wrong? Where did it start? I really wanted to see this origin point, which is, you know, why we talked about doing this episode in the first place, which ironically I thought was going to be a quick one because I didn't realize that like, yes, this is an RPG in that it is like 30 to 40 hours long. I thought it was going to yeah. be much quicker than that, which is very funny. But that having been said, I'm glad that it's available on the Nintendo Switch, uh, which is where I think all of us played it. Yeah. yeah. We all played it through Nintendo Online. Yeah. Which is nice. And honestly, it plays pretty well. I think like I'm now realizing that the inability to edit the controls is maybe a ploy to get you to buy the new N64 controller that they released. Mm. Um, I guess I'll, if if you'll allow me, if you'll indulge me, I'll, I'll briefly go through my history with it. And then I think we'll kind of organically just talk more about the game. I guess just a heads up, like this will be spoiler free. I don't think it's really like a game you could spoil, to be honest. It's more of like a kind of like a bedtime story structure yeah. but you know we'll we'll save the more like plot heavy stuff for after the break i imagine mm-hmm. but um regardless i played this game right when it came out at that time i had already been like heavily onboarded by ff7 so like by this is what uh 2000 so i was either 9 or 10 when this game came out so i i had just played ff7 ff8 maybe even ff9 maybe even chrono cross i was like all in Uh, So this was like, you know, even at that young of an age, I almost needed convincing that this wasn't like, you know, for kids, said the nine year olds. Um, (laughs) But I think, you know, the the marketing kind of even now, like in some ways feels like it's kind of more made for a general audience, which it is and it isn't, which I think (laughs) we'll get to. It, It definitely is in terms of like subject matter. It may be not be in terms of mechanics, but I remember playing it at the time and really loving it and really what I remember feeling at least what I can analyze in retrospect the feeling was playing this game for the first time was that it opened my eyes to what an RPG could be about which I think is a really cool thing I think there's not a coincidence that I think there's a pretty large like Venn diagram of mother fans and Mario RPG fans and even developers that have gone on to make games like Undertale that site influence from both series as like DNA of the game because I think both mother and the Mario RPGs are are kind of you know, showing that yes, an RPG can be about more than just sort of like a D&D esque adventure. Mm. And I also think it kind of was a really creative like lens to view the Mario Kingdom. Like the Mario Kingdom in a way is almost this untapped realm of fantasy that once you apply a JRPG lens to Mario, all of a sudden there are all these like fun worlds to inhabit and like the creatures there get another dimension to them. And like, I think it's, I think my, my favorite parts of Paper Mario are when you can kind of directly trace, like if this wasn't Paper Mario, this would be like world three from Mario three mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. So I remember really loving it. And then I didn't really, I didn't even know there was a sequel until like college and I didn't really know anything about Mario and Luigi other than that it existed and I didn't play them until doing this show so like Brendan my history with Mario and Luigi is well documented and I love those games and I have since started Thousand Year Door and I remember in the episode we talked about it I I think I said something along the lines of this is clearly the best one so <laughs> I think once I have more time in that game it will probably be my favorite but I I do think I was really curious playing Paper Mario now with with all this history of the other games. What does it do that is unique amongst the rest? Mm. Um, So I had played it when it came out. 
I had replayed it in college because my roommate started playing it without asking me. And then, uh, <laughs> of course, I was fine with it. Uh, and then that inspired me to play my own copy of it. I At that time, I had, kind of like you with the Thousand Year Door boss, I had been permanently stuck at the cloud boss yeah. in mm. Cruel Twist of Fate with the FF7 corporate drama. I was stuck <laughs> at the cloud boss. And I almost took comfort in the fact that I could never beat him. And I didn't think it was even possible until my roommate just casually beat him in one try. Mm. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like, this has been my rock for my entire yeah. life is that I would never beat this guy. I just had to, like, grind a level or two. But I finally, like, beat the game in college. And then I played it again shortly after moving to Chicago. So I've, I have finished the game twice. For this recording, I replayed up until chapter six or seven, uh, the, the Yoshi Island part of it. Um, so the bulk of the game I've, I've re-experienced, but I, re I remember a decent amount of it. And to me, the thing that stands out the most about Paper Mario, at least in relationship to Thousand Year Door and the Mario and Luigi series is how sincere it is mm. for better or for worse. It is the least satirical of any of them. Yeah. And I think that one to its detriment leads to a much simpler script. Like the most edgy it gets is making Cooper brothers Ninja Turtles. So like that's, <laughs> that's your satire. But I think what it does that's good is that it adds to the sense of fantasy and adventure that is not quite present in some of the other games. Like there's always like a cool plot happening, but there's sort of a Dragon Quest whimsy to the original Paper Mario mm. that I don't think is as present in the later entries. And I think that's largely because like, while the, the script has fun, like poking fun at the presentation and like at how silly Mario creatures are in general. Like the funniest part of the game is when uh, the Yoshi village tells you that the Ravens can take you to the top of the volcano. And then you meet the Ravens and they're just these circular <laughs> chubby creatures with big feet and they invent a machine that takes you there. Yeah. It's like, you thought they were just going to fly you there, but they like, no, you no, know, no. so that's, that's hilarious. And there's a lot of moments like that, but I think overall it's like, it does pull off adding a Dragon Quest veneer to the Mario world. And I think that's what keeps this game very special in my heart is like how sincere it is compared to the more satirical Thousand Year Door and the straight up like stoner comedy of Mario and Luigi. <laughs> um, so that, yeah. that, that was my key takeaway from playing it this time. Mm. Yeah, I, I remember bringing this game up when they first added it to the N64 library on Nintendo Online. And I said something to the effect of, and I still, I still believe this because I started the game over uh, when we decided that we were going to do this as a bonus. I think that the first like hour to two hours of this game are like pretty weak from a writing perspective, specifically mm. because it just feels yeah. like they didn't quite know what the tone of the game was going to be. And I know that games aren't made from beginning to end, just like movies aren't shot from scene one to whatever the finale is. <laughs> um, but there there is this weird sense that this game like figures out its voice the further in you get which is a really totally really bizarre thing but that said there is this element of adventure that you're touching on Stephen, that i think is so important like the game is long and it does maintain that runtime in that like I, I i think it is engaging throughout the entirety of it so just to be clear i did not finish this game uh but i did watch a lot of it on on uh on youtube essentially like through like a a dialogueless let's play uh that mm. somebody did that i just kind of like had on while i was doing other stuff for the past couple of days when i realized like there's no way i'm gonna be able to finish this game in time 
<laughs> but the further into this game you get, like I actually kind of kicked myself in a way because the further into this game you get, the more fun it seems like it becomes and the more they start to engage with and start yes. to subvert your expectations of what you think it's going to be. So, mm. for example, like chapter three I, I, is the one that you told me to beat, Stephen, which I did uh, myself with my own two hands. That is like essentially Luigi's Mansion, uh, which is so funny because yeah. like this game came out the year before Luigi's Mansion and the GameCube. But it, it really does feel like these two games were like the two teams that were making each game were talking to one another in a way. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were. Maybe they weren't. But there's a part where you can talk to Luigi uh, and he's like, yes. man, I hate ghosts. Yes. He <laughs> talks about how much he hates ghosts and how afraid he is of the mansion and of booze. Yeah. It's great. It, fe- it feels like setup for that game. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that that bit that involves, you know, like the booze are hiding items and you need to like play this kind of like almost um, what is it like the ball and shell game where like mm-hmm. the booze are shuffling around who's holding the item. You need to find it like they start introducing more and more things that break out of like you're just doing a turn based RPG. The further into it you get up until like there's a murder mystery at one point where you need mm-hmm. to like solve a crime and your detective Mario <laughs> that's like so not at all what you've been doing for the first like 20 hours of the video game yeah like they really are firing on all cylinders just saying like at least my takeaway from from this game in a way is like okay we can't be Super Mario RPG anymore we're this new thing and we need to establish what that is but also each chapter is going to be a different attempt at establishing what that is and whatever people <laughs> respond to the best is maybe what we'll do in a sequel but it turns out that that like that irreverence and that kind of like throwing a bunch of spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks like actually kind of is Paper Mario to me like Paper Mario to me now I I think in the aggregate is like yes every time you traverse from one place that looks one way to a different place that looks a different way is going to be like a completely different set of ideas and that's going to be really fun because I think Nintendo is at its best like as a game publisher when they're just really challenging themselves to think of the most creative thing possible and Paper Mario just like has that in spades throughout the entirety of its runtime and I I feel like although the comedy element is like hit or miss I think in this game they haven't like fully nailed it that really does become like i think the through line of this franchise and then mario and luigi i totally agree i I think that the the first two chapters put a pretty weak foot forward like it's an enjoyable game but like the prologue with goombario it feels five hours long like it's not But like it that, does. It, it is I totally agree with you. It really feels way too long. And at that point, the combat is like really, really simple. Like all you can do is jump or use the hammer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now in retrospect, I think that that was a good decision because the combat is pretty deep. Like once you're only three chapters in, once you have played Paper Mario, well, I don't think it's easy. In fact, I think this is a pretty hard game, which is why I go back and forth of whether or not this is like a great first RPG. My takeaway thought is that this is a great first rpg if you want to play more advanced rpgs because i think that you're going to learn both the cruel irony of having to talk to someone at a different angle to progress the plot which you will undoubtedly encounter in any pre-2004 rpg but it's also just teaching you like it's layering depth on the very seemingly simple combat very gracefully throughout the game so like 
early on, I think the combat doesn't really start to get interesting until you get Cooper, which is in chapter one. And Cooper's whole ability is that he is a Koopa Troopa with a sick like neck handkerchief. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. But uh, his whole thing is that he can he can fire in a horizontal line. So he can go in his shell and dart forward and hit all the enemies on the ground. So all of a sudden you're thinking about like space and like, OK, like what enemies are in the air? Which ones are on the ground? Which I think like if this is your first game, like it was yours, AJ, like as a kid, like that's a really subtle but effective way to teach strategy mm-hmm. to a kid and then you get a uh, bombette who is you know just like bursts of damage to a singular enemy over like a little bit of damage to everybody and then in chapter three you get lady bow more on her later but the best character in the game i'll just say it now but she <laughs> her whole ability is that she can hide mario in combat and out of combat which is cool Every character has an out of combat ability. I think it's a great design choice, which we'll talk about more later because there's a lot of questions about that. But her whole ability is essentially for one turn, no one can do damage to you, but she can't go again the next turn. So all of a sudden you're thinking about turn order in a way you only would if you were playing Shin Megami Tensei. So like this game is really (laughs) introducing really advanced RPG concepts in a way that I think is really easy to understand and, and not overwhelming. That being said, I think what gets in the way of that and what prevents this from being like clearly the best like RPG tutorial of all time is the difficulty spike is absurd. Chapter four, the weird clown shy guys are like harder than Bowser. They can heal and summon more. And like, it's it's like, I just had to use star summon eventually just to get rid of them. Cause I'm like, this will either be a 20 minute battle where I might die or I can just summon an asteroid and move on with my life. Mm. But overall, I think that the combat in this game is really excellent. And I would say that the combat here is better than Mario and Luigi. I think, I mean, I love the Mario and Luigi games, but I think I've always struggled a little bit more with the battle system because the timing is harder to read. Like in Paper Mario, they make it very clear, like when to push a button, like whether you're bashing it repeatedly or holding it down for a certain amount of time. There's a lot of like really helpful and clear like visuals that also make it just more fun to pull off. Whereas Mario and Luigi kind of had to feel it out. You kind of have to just like, it's almost like a fighting game mindset where it's like, you just have to know the timing, mm. which can be frustrating, especially if you're emulating it because there's inherently a little bit of a delay. So I just think that the combat here is better. So I think that there's like a perfect middle ground of like the script and writing of Mario and Luigi with the combat of Paper Mario, which sounds like that's a thousand year door is. Mm. Uh, based on what I've heard and played. But I, I keep thinking about whether or not this is like the best sort of RPG onboarding game. And I, and I struggle to say yes or no, but I do think the way it layers mechanics based on who is joining your party is really elegant. I think it's a really great way of teaching these concepts. Yeah, I think as a kid, I benefited a lot from the first like the prologue bit with Gumbario being as bland as possible. (laughs) Totally. Because it's like, you know, they were teaching you, you know, they give you the hammer. They teach you how to use the hammer outside of combat, inside of combat. You're, they, they teach you what it is to have your, you know, your first partner to like do a quest to like, you know, whatever. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. extremely rudimentary, but I get (laughs) as like somebody who has played RPGs that that is like frustrating or just like boring. But even now, like playing that moment again, like playing the whole prologue is just like pure, joy for me 
like I know it's it's boring and there's like it has no bearing on anything. So I just like brain off. I am in back in this world <laughs> listening to these fun songs. Yeah. Yeah. Doing this fucking Goomba farce like that shit's so funny to me. Uh, uh, and and the like, you know, they're hiding in the castle at the end. That you have to find the, <laughs> the secret yes. button that's yeah. just hidden behind a bush. It's, it's such good shit. It's candy. But I mean, I'll, I'll give it to you that it's not it's not the most engaging. But for me as a as a, you know, seven, six year old, whatever, it was like exactly what i needed it to be to teach me how to kind of play a game yeah and what she said about the world getting deeper as the story goes like uh, it, it, it absolutely does and i think chapter three is like that whole location is unique like the location in general is unique uh mm-hmm. in the fact that it has a town area and it has you know uh, uh, uh the actual dungeon area and then you know you're doing the stuff with bow uh and uh it's just like adding all these layers and then slowly the game kind of begins to, I guess, like take itself more seriously as you get to like chapter five and chapter six and then chapter seven. It's like by the time you get to chapter seven, it is like full on like you could just put this in like this could be a, 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 a any other JRPG plot. And I mean that in yeah. like a, a, a good way. <laughs> yeah. And reaching the end and like the the ending of the game having a message is like a wild thing to me uh but we can you know i don't want to spoil anything but i just i think i think that really slow ramp up in the beginning uh kind of finding its footing and and teaching you the very basics uh for me playing it as a kid that stuff was like i don't know it's it's like irreplaceable honestly that makes a lot of sense yeah uh i i feel like one of the things that i really recognized pretty early on at least with that that opening segment and bringing on goombario as your first companion Mm -hmm. it does a thing that i always wish pokemon did weirdly because i feel like when you start pokemon which i think is a lot of people's first you know turn-based combat rpg kind of thing when you're like six or seven and playing that game there's no way to really know or understand or even care why you would use a move like growl or tail whip Mm -hmm. against the enemy (laughs) instead of just constantly using tackle over and over and over again uh you know whatever starter you pick you're gonna use the actual attack versus the more like strategic uh stat changing attack this game giving you goombario right at the top having him be like a fucking dweeb who knows everything but then saying if you use Goombario to like scope out the enemy for the first time you'll be able to see their health bar forever is such a really like I think a really rewarding way of teaching people that like you don't always need to be on the offensive sometimes it will benefit you to use something more strategic like Goombario's explanations Mm -hmm. which I think only carries forward throughout the rest of the game but it's it's a thing I've never really seen an RPG do this elegantly this Mm -hmm. idea of onboarding people into the idea that like just whittling down health isn't what it's all about there's more to the combat here than just attacking Absolutely. That's kind of what I was getting at with, you know, how they layer these sort of more abstract mechanics. And I think like, I think what's really cool too about the battle system is the badge system because that kind of allows you one, it allows you to do a lot of cool stuff just inherently. But the other is that it kind of allows you to make the system as complicated or simple as you want it to be. Because like, if you just invest in health and flower power, you have enough abilities between like basic Mario and your party members that you'll probably be able to play through the 
game. But like having the ability to like, okay, I have two badges that allow me to regenerate health and flower power every turn. Mm -hmm. Suddenly Lady Bo becomes even more powerful because Mm. while I'm hiding, I am also regaining power and I don't have to spend a turn using item. They give you the ability to sort of creatively play your own way, whether that's like I now have a badge that allows me to jump on spikes. So I don't have to even worry about that Mm -hmm. part of the game anymore. I love that. I love that so much. And I think also this is maybe the only RPG that has the restraints to use double digit numbers. Like every other RPG has, has, you know, like, I mean, I love Xenoblade Chronicles 3 that has been well documented, but you know, you start that game doing tens of thousands of damage and like, it's like moderately impressive if if you do a million, you know, like it's like, okay, you did all right out there. You did a million damage, but like having the numbers be small one, I think makes it easier for a younger audience, which lends credence to this being a great you know, first RPG, but two, it also kind of just like shows you more of the raw design. And also I think in some ways it's more impressive to be like, you can actually like do the math to determine, okay, I can win in five turns. Yes. If I do X, Y, or Z, it almost goes back to um, like into the breach design. You are given enough information before you make your turn that it can inform your decision, which I think is really, really smart. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I think this battle system, despite the difficulty jumps, the piranha boss is hard than a lot of bosses in Shin Megami Tensei 5. I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that boss is really difficult. That's where I stopped. And the cloud we've already talked about. But uh, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a really, really well-made system. And also developed by uh, Intelligent Systems, our friends mm-hmm. who have made Fire Emblem for us. So there that's you. pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah. Don't you don't you wish that more games had the had that kind of restraint with smaller numbers? Because I feel yeah. like I, I I think you know we we got this as a question multiple times that you've already brought it up, Stephen. But like a lot of my time spent playing this game, and AJ, you are a testament to this. Has been thinking about is this like the best RPG to onboard people into the genre with? Um, man, how I wish like Dragon Quest Eleven dealt with small numbers like this. It does in the beginning, <laughs> you know, like early on. That is definitely the vibe, but that does not last very long in pretty much every other rpg i've ever played including other paper mario games yeah 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 i can't quite remember how the numbers are in in mario and luigi but it didn't stand out to me the same way it does here where i think i think the only enemy that has maybe 100 health is bowser at the very end but everyone else like a a tough boss will have like 50 and again it it makes you oh yeah (laughs) oh yes you've got the strategy guide bowser has 99 health so he doesn't even have the triple digit wow that is very Bowser. He is a 99 guy. He's just there. Bowser's a guy you, know? you can give unlimited power and he will say 99. <laughs> I yeah. will not go yes. higher than that. There is a Tetsuo Vegeta rage <laughs> at being second best, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we maybe move on to we're going to move on to spoilers in the sense that we can more directly talk about the plot. Again, this story is not really one that I think can be spoiled, but it might be good to take a break here and then talk more directly maybe about certain chapters and moments and then we can yeah. move on to questions. That sounds great. Yeah, that sounds perfect to me. Cool. Uh, well, with that, if you are leaving us now, uh, honestly, if, you, if you're leaving us now to avoid spoilers, I will say I think Paper Mario is a game very much worth playing. I think it's a classic. I think it has earned its place amongst RPGs I would recommend to most people. I think you'll have a great time with it, even with all the caveats we brought up. I would recommend it uh, if you're interested in the history of RPGs and of Nintendo. I would also recommend it. (laughs) I would also recommend it. But honestly, my biggest takeaway, at least from the first hour-ish of us recording, is I really got to play Thousand Year Door. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I'm I'm curious, like, because I, I almost think, and this is this is a preemptive hunch, but I almost think there's a different audience for both games. You know, mm-hmm. I think like and and it's I think it's interesting because like you mentioned, Brendan, this game is kind of figuring out its identity as it goes on. It reminds me of Final Fantasy 14 of Realm Reborn, where that is a game that like right. you can kind of see the writers figuring out what it would eventually become as mm-hmm. you're playing it. And I think it's a similar thing for for Paper Mario here. Yeah. I wonder but, if that's yeah. the first time anyone's ever made that comparison. <laughs> <laughs> I also compared Bowser to Tetsuo just moments ago, so I think I think I'm on a roll personally. The fighter jets have cleared, so maybe they they got what they came here for. Um, anyway, let's take a break, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. We are back with more Paper Mario, and uh, this is going to be the spoiler part of it. Every now and then we do a bonus where we actually do talk through the plot. Actually, one of them was when we had you on last, AJ, for The Last of Us, uh, where we actually talked through like the whole thing. Beat by beat. Uh, This is not going to be that, but I do think we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about some moments and we'll get into like, you know, what happens. But Mushroom Kingdom, daytime, Mario walks in from stage left. (laughs) Exterior. Yeah. Toad enters worried. So just sort of frame it. Essentially, the way the game is structured is Bowser has stolen uh, all seven, I think, yes. uh, star spirits who essentially grant wishes. So it, it has a very like bedtime story sort of fable beginning. So so Bowser has kidnapped all the star spirits, which I also think is a fun way to add plot to like any Mario game you're getting stars or the equivalent. So in this yeah. case, they're like literally spirits that. Yeah. That have character. I, I don't want to cut cut you off too no, early in this, it. but earlier on when you had said the Mushroom Kingdom, thinking about the Mushroom Kingdom as a fantasy realm, that is immediately where my head went of like, you know, getting deeper into like the mythology of the Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah. That there are just these seven star spirits that grant wishes and just live on top of a mountain next to the fucking castle. <laughs> <laughs> it feels very much like Ocarina of Time, like the sacred realm and the, yes. and the sages. Yeah. How often do you think they're granting wishes and do you think that's why everyone is made of paper? (laughs) Make me paper! Make me paper! Yeah, do do you think they're like super lax about it? Like anytime anyone goes up and is like, I have this fun idea to just make everyone paper for a week. They're like, yeah, sure. Sounds great. Come back if you want it reversed. I interpreted it, which is less funny, but I interpreted it as like they are almost more of like they make sure that like wild wishes don't come true in a way. Like they only grant like small and pleasant wishes to people. There is a line. I don't remember if it's from Twink or it's from one of the older or from like the first star spirit you get. That is like Bowser's wishes are all like, I wish I ruled the world. And they're like, we're obviously not going to grant that wish. Which is why he connects them. He's like, I'm sick of being ghosted by I I keep wishing. And I get nothing. Somebody turn me into paper and you won't let me rule the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. One person wished for everyone to be paper. I love this. This is my headcanon now. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially like you as Mario have to go and rescue all the star spirits to eventually take on Bowser. Mm -hmm. So 
Very, very simple structure. And every star spirit is in a different part of the world. And usually you'll get a new character. So Gumbario is your first. And I think Gumbario is... He's easy to ignore. He has a bit of like an Ignatz aura to him. You know, he's easy to take for granted. He's a lovable little nerd, but kind of immediately get more powerful party members. So you might just sort of put him on the bench. But I think the tattle ability is so impressive yeah. because not only does it have the battle function of, you know, essentially what Scan would do in Final Fantasy of like revealing health stats. You don't even need the strategy guide if you have Gumbario and the patience to hear him say things. Yeah. But he also comments on the world around you. Like yeah, There yeah. is dialogue for every place. And it's all really charming and adds so much. And it makes me wish it was just there and not an elected process. Because what I've really noticed while playing this game, which brings me to why I love Chapter 3 so much, is there is a piece of this journey missing for me that like so rarely is there a scripted event where the party member says anything outside of what you initially recruit them that they kind of just get dropped the minute they join the party like you never really get to know them on a deeper level and you know it, again the game is very it's very bedtime story it's not really a plot that allows for like getting to know anyone on a deep level but i i do think that like even from the very beginning of thousand year door i remember having a very strong sense of gumbella and like who she was and her character and how she changed the tenor of a scene if she was who i had in my party during right. a moment so i think gumbario has that but you have to kind of elect the process it isn't until chapter three where you get lady bow that suddenly you're given this like eureka moment of like oh my god I just recruited a party member who has like relevance to the story, who has like a fully fleshed out personality, who wants something, <laughs> and who is who who has an arc in this chapter. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's not to it's not to say that like, you know, I, I think that the other characters are bad, but like I don't know who Bombette is at all. I have no idea who she is. I want to know who Bombette is. But all you know is that she's a bomb you rescued from prison. In the chapter you get Bombette, there's nothing happening in that chapter that is about Bombette in any way. Whereas Lady Bo is introduced as, like, you have to navigate this whole dungeon of puzzles and secrets to get to her, to be granted an audience by her and, and her butler, Bootler, who I also love. And then she's like, yeah, I kidnapped the star spirit and I will give it to you if you help me. <laughs> so good. There's this, there's this enemy called the Invincible Tubba Blubba who is eating ghosts and I want to take him out. And then you go into town and all the ghosts love Lady Bo and you eventually learn why Tubba Blubba is invincible. Every villain in these chapters has been granted like a power by Bowser, but it's also kind of a curse. So mm. in the case of Tubba Blubba, he's invincible, but his heart is actually the one controlling him. And his heart is like in a well deep underground with a bunch of signs that are like, keep away. And you eventually learn that and go fight the heart. And then Tubba Blubba's body and his heart are reunited. And then he loses all his power. He's no longer a villain once he has his heart again. And then it's revealed that like he got picked on by all the ghosts and Lady Bo's like, yeah, well, you know, everything worked out. And she and then she realizes... <laughs> <laughs> that adventure is a lot of fun and that she actually mm -hmm. does like helping people. She gains a heart as well and joins mm -hmm. the team. And like, it's very simple. I'm not saying that Lady Bo is like, you know, a, a, a Mass Effect squad member that has a loyalty mission. But I think that like it adds so much fun to that chapter that, yeah. you know, like who she is and and 
you get a sense of like why she's joining the team. And even though she didn't really talk much after that, I loved having her in my party because like it felt like a really important leg of the journey. Whereas other characters joining just sort of like do so for the sake of like, well, I need to swim. So of course I've befriended a fish. You know, like I just think that that it's not really I'm not trying to be too nitpicky about it because I, I love all all the characters are fun reconstructions of Mario enemies. But I do think it's not until Lady Bo's chapter in chapter three that you get a sense of like what could be if there was more authorship with the cast. Yeah. And if they had more presence in the entire story as well, because Mario is just silent and also is Mario. So there's nothing going on. Yeah. So as soon as you get someone who is interesting at all, it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, you know. Yeah. Uh, One of the interesting things about the, this whole franchise for me is that it's kind of like serving two masters. Steven, you and I were talking about this very briefly in, in the break, yeah. actually. But I feel like, you know, in the Origami King era of Paper Mario, it's like trying to, uh, I guess, like appease old lapsed Paper Mario fans who wanted to be an RPG, even though this series has already kind of like deviated from that and is trying to be something different. So you're just kind of like left with this like kind of weird amalgam of both that's not really achieving either. But simultaneously, there's there's this dichotomy between early Paper Mario games and now, AJ, you alluded to this earlier, and it's a thing we've talked about on the show before, mm -hmm. but Nintendo is so stringent about their intellectual property and brand guidelines internally that a lot of these companion characters that you get as the franchise goes on, they're not really given any visual identification. They're not really given any like visual shift outside of like, this is just a bomb. This is just a Goomba, etc. So all of that needs to happen via dialogue. All that needs to happen via character. And it's kind of a bummer that we never got this, like at least as far as I played. So if this has happened in the interim, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. But there's this like marriage that needs to happen, I think. And this is kind of what you're talking about, Stephen, between like these games where they had like almost complete creative license to do whatever they wanted with these characters. Like, it's funny that Gumbario is just wearing a hat, but like it's also miraculous now in 2022 that Gumbario was wearing a hat like that. That by itself is like a shocking thing for Nintendo. They would they would deny that they wouldn't approve that these days. Mm -hmm. You want a marriage of that and this like crest of writing that they have right now that is like so at its peak yeah. and i do agree with you steven that early on in this game especially just given the way the like story kind of unfolds for the first two chapters as well i really did want more characterization from these uh companions that i brought along with me i did like goombario i like that he's a dweeb i think that's really me fun too. like yeah i really like having him around and i love his tattle ability and as you mentioned i love being able to just have him comment on like anything that's happening in the world even like before and after you beat a boss like if you if you talk to him in that area he'll have different things to say like they really wrote so much dialogue for yeah. goombario and even it's standing awesome. next to certain things in different environments yes. will give you different things it's wild he he is the tutorial for the game it's just yes. like you know how how much are they telegraphing that to the audience I, I guess is is the question you know they, they mention it early on that he will talk about things in the world but i don't think they tell you to do it as much as you probably should if you want to get like maximum enjoyment out of goombario anyway point being I do feel like if you were to talk to the people who are making the Paper Mario games right now, I wonder if they look back at the first game and be like, man, I really wish we went much harder in the paint on the writing and the dialogue for those characters yeah. while we yeah. had the chance to imbue them with all of this personality, both like visually and through dialogue. 
it's it's a really it's a really interesting place that that they're at right now and very sad that they can't put a hat on a goomba anymore <laughs> yeah i mean the hat is also it's if you just saw a still image of gumbario it is just a blue hat but seeing him run with a blue hat behind mario <laughs> and like knowing that he's a big mario fanboy yeah. is adorable like he's yeah. a little and that's also like a very clever like goombas are the lowest rank enemies of mario and just the idea of a goomba that loves mario and wants to be mario yeah. and knows everything about the mario universe it's brilliant i think gubario is very overlooked these games are also to be clear alluding to the canon of other mario games like when bowser first shows up he does make a point that's like this time i'm gonna kick your ass you know which yeah. Yeah. alludes to the idea that like super mario world and mario brothers and all of this stuff like has existed in the past well when you tattle on the regular goomba enemies he's like oh you've been fighting these guys since super mario bros like the yeah. the, the, the the canon of the games exists here it's it's very funny i also gotta say in terms of me saying Mario is a blank canvas. I do love his victory poses. The finger wag and the humble cap tip. Incredible. I feel like that's a dunk on Sonic the Hedgehog a little bit that they just like co-opted <laughs> oh, the, the finger, finger wag. wag yeah I never made that connection yeah that that does make sense it's uh, just like yeah I kicked your ass and I've stolen your victory pose <laughs> Uh, okay, so speaking of of kicking your ass, the weird freshly hatched dinosaur that keeps showing up. Like, did I miss something that angered him, or is he just like no? So the, he's just the, a, yeah, yeah. Junior Koopa is just a yeah, guy. I that, love him. Yeah, he just shows up and he wants to be. He wants to beat Mario just to prove that he's not a baby. He is like the <laughs> Lysithia of this game. <laughs> like. Hey, I'm strong. I'm going to kick your fucking ass. I imagine him just like covered in yolk as he runs around. He's not actually yellow. He's just covered in yolk. Ew. <laughs> he's I, I love him because my one of my favorite recurring tropes in any JRPG is the benign antagonist that is also a tutorial. Yes. Like, I think um, I guess Ultros in Final Fantasy VI or Salt and Pepper in Chrono Cross. Just like really ineffective bad guys that are like, I hope you don't use your summon against me, (laughs) you know, (laughs) then run away in their weird egg diaper. Yeah, I, I loved him. But I was like, did I miss like a scene? Because I'm like, he always no. shows up. So, OK, I, I didn't miss. Yeah, anything. he just he cool. shows up when you're in Goomba Village and he's like, you're Mario. I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah, That's exactly. It. It's really he funny. reminds me of the voice I sometimes do where I'm like, all right, listen up. Like I kept I always gave him that voice whenever he showed up. <laughs> yeah. I think we do have some questions about favorite chapters, but in terms yeah. of like moments of story or of like we've mentioned many times the sort of game finding its voice you know, within the Paper Mario series, are there any kind of standout moments for you two or standout mechanics that you wanted to bring up in this kind of looser section of the episode? Nothing, nothing like specifically like I there there are bits about this game. I mean, uh, chapter three is is a big standout to me in in, like, in thinking about yeah. this game, just like the tub of Bubba stuff and the fact that you have to like run away from him before you can actually find out what's wrong with, you know, or, or how mm-hmm. he's invincible. And it's stuff. so and, fun. Yeah, I think that stuff's great. Um. I just I, I don't know. I, I I think all of these dungeons are so fun and unique. I think uh, Shy Guy's toy box is uh, the worst. Actually, I thought it was great uh, when I went into it and then I was like, oh, the, this whole thing is you have to hop in and out of the toy box over and over again. It is interesting that it makes like Toad Town part of the dungeon in that way. Yeah. Um, where you mm-hmm. have to like go and return people's things to them to then get you know, a uh, piece of information that you can bring back to the toy box. But Mario just does not move fast enough to keep that, 
<laughs> that, that trek yeah. back and forth across Toetown. Uh, interesting. It did introduce me to services I didn't know were available, though, because there's a lot in Toetown. Toetown's a really yes. cool hub, but there's a lot yeah. you can miss pretty easily, including mm. it's really easy to miss the place where you trade star pieces, which is like huge. Like so many mm. quests incentivize you with star pieces, and it's very easy to not know there's like a house in Shooting Star Summit where you can trade star pieces for really cool badges. Yeah. Uh, and then oh. there's also a treasure chest that is connected to one in Bowser's Castle where in the in-between sections where you play as Peach, you can find cool badges in Bowser's Castle, put them in that chest, and then pick them up as Mario. Yeah, That stuff is like, re- it's cool that it's there and it's like fun that it's easy to miss, but it's also yeah. like very easy to miss. And I only found it because of this weird clown. I call it the clown chapter. I'm not sure why, but the toy <laughs> box clown chapter yeah. Uh, yeah. makes you, and also the um, the cooking, taste tea, uh, the taste chef. Taste tea, yeah. I, I, just, well, I, I just wanted to touch on the names of the toads. Uh, oh, they all have the surname T. So there's like Min T and Taste T and Rust T. Uh, it's so funny to me that that is like the uh, intelligent systems or whatever uh, was given the like rights to do whatever they wanted. And they said, all the Toad's last name is our Toad. <laughs> uh, so we're just going to give them funny first names. <laughs> I didn't mind the toy box that much because I, mm. I liked the battles. I think that's like yeah. the battle against the tank was a lot of fun. Yeah. Honestly, for me, uh, Dry Dry Ruins was at easily the worst i think yeah, like yeah, really like the temple itself was, was okay but navigating the desert is just not fun mm. i will say that your whole thing about the star pieces and and finding badges like that was actually kind of the biggest uh drag on the entire experience for me was like i really 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 got into finding everything like that really mm. was my my vibe for the longest time just because i thought i was pacing myself in time for the episode <laughs> and i wasn't because i really like i spent all of my time looking at every square inch of dry dry ruins and the desert like trying to find every star piece and get every badge i possibly could because i knew that i would need those options later on because i had heard that the game gets harder by way of the bosses um as as time goes on but that chapter in particular was uh definitely a little bit of a drag i will say that you know although i i ended up watching a lot more of this game than i played i guess in the aggregate just because the playthrough was like speeding through stuff and i was taking my time the chapter where you do go to the like penguin village i I think it's chapter seven yes has maybe like the moment that made me laugh out loud like while watching a youtube video just reading text on the screen yeah which is you you walk into that chapter and the mayor of the town has been murdered and you are immediately accused of murdering the penguin mayor which is hilarious by itself that they would you know take it to that level uh, in a paper mario game but on top of that you do have to like investigate the body and the crime scene later in that chapter yeah and when you do the first thing you learn is that the mayor is just knocked out he's not actually dead and the first like the first thing that happens is he's like oh i'm so sorry i I didn't realize that i've caused a kerfuffle here yeah Uh, (laughs) i I love that i that is so fun to to be like oh my god i can't believe how dark paper mario got this is a real like corpse on my video game screen uh yeah. turning into like oh of course he's not dead it was mwah, chef's kiss yeah. tasty's kiss nice <laughs> nice nice um yeah i i love chapter seven specifically i have like really really strong memories of as a kid playing that and that being like chapter six uh uh with huff and puff the the cloud um, <sighs> sorry I, that was like a genuine response no yeah yeah yeah. i, I think like post chapter five the bosses get so hard or chapter five to the end so so the the lava piranha 
and then and then Huff and Puff and the the king or whatever at the end of uh, chapter seven. All that stuff is so difficult. But I have like these really strong memories of the landscape of like the starborn village and stuff, because like this, that's where stars are born and they are like raised by these people called starlings and they're just like they look like little gnomes or whatever in like full uh like puffy jackets or whatever they're like yeah we take care of the little stars uh (laughs) so they can grow up to become big stars to grant wishes and stuff like that whole area is is ingrained in my head and i think it's because unlike every other area of this game every other chapter most of the dungeons are pretty directly connected to toad town and so you just like you know you go into the forever forest and then you're at the boo mansion or you take the train to dry dry ruins and you're there and like there is like the stuff in the desert you have to do to actually get to dry dry ruins but something about the murder mystery and then you have to figure out like the secret to get to the mountain and then you have to go through the mountain to actually get to the ca- uh, uh uh yeah the castle uh where the crystal king lives is <laughs> it's a cool like, area it's it's so good and and the, the there's weird <laughs> this all sounds fake i can't believe it's so but i just had this like full <laughs> moment of clarity where i realized what we were saying yeah <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe this game is real sorry continue yeah no but, but it's like it's 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 what you said brandon of like the game finding its footing or like taking itself seriously yeah. or whatever at the end like you talk to there's another uh a sibling of of merlot and merly and mer you know all of the mers uh and they're all wizards and you talk to the one in in the starborn village who tells you the Crystal Palace was originally built to honor the stars, but as time passed, it slowly faded from the memories of local people, and now no one can remember how to reach the palace. That's uh, just Bloodborne, like, actually. <laughs> there, there are yeah. places in Yarnum that are that exact description. Yeah, and it's just like, and, and then he gives you a scarf. It's like, this scarf has been passed down generation to generation. I don't know what to do with it. And then meanwhile, you walk past six snowmen. One doesn't have a hat. One doesn't have a scarf. So it's like a very easy puzzle, but it's just like... <laughs> The fact that they were like, no, we need a reason for this castle to be hidden. And it's because people have forgotten why they love the stars. <laughs> like, it's just like it, it all of a sudden creates this this like history for this world that didn't need to be that deep. Yeah. And 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 just like it's like, no, but you're the one who's going to like bring the faith back in the stars or whatever. Uh, yeah. It's just so good. I like I like when the chapters kind of have like a permanent change like that. I mean, yeah. that's going back to chapter three, like the booze kind of is very silly to say but the booze all find their humanity by yeah. being scared of something you know right. like it's the first time in their existence that there's a threat to them i was actually touched when there's that scene where they're all at the door and they tell you to run like, yeah it was like it was like a moment with actual stakes you know it was very mm-hmm. cool i mean it's it's still paper mario you're never like crying or you know in fear of anything too heavy but going back to what i said about this being so genuine it's like they are really following the beats of like you know you could have these moments in final fantasy games games and they would feel like they belong right right which is really cool i'm curious you mentioned aj earlier in the episode of like the game having kind of a a central message by the end Mm. i don't fully recall exactly how the game concludes so i'd love to hear more about that if you're yeah uh, i had in in our in our break i had i had skimmed through the final bowser battle to uh, make sure i wasn't like misremembering stuff and i was misremembering a little bit but i think there is the 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 version of the themes that i had come up with uh, when i started this most recent playthrough still kind of hold true so Throughout the game, also just to touch on this, throughout the game, you hop in between every chapter. You play as Princess Peach in Bowser's or in her castle stuck on top of Bowser's castle. Those moments for me are some of the funnest parts of the game, just because it's like they're so removed from 
the actual JRPG stuff that it's like, oh, I'm sneaking around the castle. I'm doing whatever. And and as you do it, the more you do it, like the deeper those things get. Like after the Shy Guy's toy box, you find uh, uh, the Shy Guy that really likes food had like flown out of the toy box and landed in, in the castle. Uh, and he's like, oh, I'll give you this key if you make me a cake. So then it's like a whole baking mini game. That's <laughs> just like very yeah. silly. Uh, and then then there's the next one after that. There's a quiz show. And if you win the quiz show, you get a parasol that lets you transform into any like transform into the nearest uh, the nearest other person. So then the one after that, before chapter seven, you're able to transform into one of the guards and you have free reign over the castle and you can just like walk around the castle and do this, whatever. So that's I have an great. important question for yeah. you quickly. Yeah. Did you play this before or after metal gear because i hear the metal gear fan <laughs> in you like oozing with excitement yeah i played this but this was my original metal paper mario okay, is cool. my original this metal is, gear yeah yeah i yeah, didn't play metal cool. gear till uh, high school and then i this didn't is play. a strand game this yeah. is a strand game exactly but so the whole time you're doing that peach stuff peach has this companion named twink who is a tiny star spirit uh who you know uh, was like you know, close to being promoted to like a full time star spirit or something or whatever. I don't remember exactly what the what the plot was, but he makes his way to Peach and is like, hey, like, are you OK? Is there anything I can do to help you? I know I'm just a little guy, so I can't like grant wishes or anything. But is there anything I could do to whatever? And, she, you know, the first stuff she tells she tells Twink is like, yeah, just tell Mario I'm OK. And then I'm in Bowser's castle and I'll you know, I'm going to try to figure out whatever. So every uh, every couple of chapters, you know, she figures out this stuff of like she in the castle telling Twink to tell Mario like where uh, uh, Tubba Blubba is and like that he's invincible. That's the reason that Mario like knows to go there uh, mm-hmm. is because Twink comes down is like, you know, we found the stuff out. You have to go do this stuff. So Twink is there the whole time. And then at the end of the game, you know, you have the seven star spirits. You're able to do this thing called the star beam. Um, which oh, in, yeah. in the second second to last battle with Bowser, when he uses the star rod to turn himself invincible, you can use the star beam to turn that invincibility off and defeat him. Great. And then he runs up to a platform that Kami Koopa has created that like powers him up even more uh, to the 99 health version of Bowser and the star <laughs> beam no longer works. And so Peach is up there captured and Twink shows up and is like, I don't know what I can do to help. Uh, but Peach, maybe if you like, you make a wish hard enough to to make the the star spirits more powerful you know we will be able to beat bowser or whatever and so she does and the way that the star beam is more powerful is that now twink is a part of it oh, twink I is now that. a part of this seven star spirit star beam uh so powered up with it's now called the peach beam uh so powered up by peach's wish and you know twink's just like star powers or whatever they are able to destroy that protective barrier and uh, uh defeat bowser so to me, the message of this game kind of is just like, you know, everybody is worth like working with or everybody is worth hearing out or believing in because even the smallest difference can, you know, make a huge difference. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I think that that definitely I mean, and that goes to to all the party members like Mario couldn't do this alone. Right. Like, you know, there's there's yeah. no part of the adventure. It's a it's a collaborative effort. Um, yeah. And Bowser loses in some ways by being alone, yeah. you know. Yeah. So as always, until Inside Story, when he gets his uh, redemption arc that we were all craving <laughs> yeah. for the year, for over <laughs> but, the years. But even the way that that Bowser like gets his like final power up is because Cammy Koopa helped him. 
It's not just yeah. because of the power of the star rods. Because Kami Koopa's like actually the villain. Kami I feel Koopa. like I kept oh, yeah. feeling that way in this. There thing. are parts uh, in in the the Shy Guy toy box specifically where you can lie to Kami Koopa about the things that Mario hates. Yes, and and Kami Koopa's like, I don't know if he hates mushrooms, but Bowser told me to do it, so I have to. And it's like yeah. she she could figure this out on her own, but the fact that she is like tied to Bowser being her leader uh, is really setting her back. Yeah. <laughs> I, I forgot that Twink shows up in the end like that. I think yeah. that's really beautiful because I yeah. think that's also like that's his whole arc, too, where you yes. know, he's like, I don't know if I can help. I'm just a star kid. Yeah. You know, thinking less yeah. of yourself in that way. Yeah. Also, just shout out to Peach in this game. Mm. Yes. Like all of the all of the Peach segments are so fun when mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, I, I refuse to just be a captive again. I'm just going to like go explore the castle. Yeah, and just like I love that no out. one figures out like her escape route, like it never gets interrupted yeah. or changed. It's, it's so, so fun. I think yeah, the Mario and Luigi games, especially, I think builds on on Peach's character too. Like I think mm-hmm. the the Mario RPGs in general give Peach like a lot more character and agency than she ever has in any other game. Yeah, <laughs> so it's cool to see. Yeah, it's yeah. wild to me that they can make Paper Mario and maybe maybe Super Paper Mario hadn't come out yet, and where Peach like has this agency and is like is a character, and then all of a sudden they release Super Princess Peach. Where her whole thing is that oh, she boy. is too emotional to actually be able to do anything. Yeah, that was a painful game to, <laughs> to experience. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I do love there's a line between Peach and Twink and Paper Mario where Twink, he's like, do you think Bowser has figured out that like we escape through the fireplace every chapter? And she's like, no, <laughs> like he's he's a complete idiot. Yeah. Like, and he has no way. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah. She, yeah. Her, those they're really nice vignettes between the chapters. I think they were a great idea. I almost wish they went further. Like I would have loved to have like a battle system with twink and and peach totally Um, but that would have been like twice the amount of games so i kind of get why they didn't do that and there's also a great thing every time you leave a peach scene there's a slide whistle that goes every single time (laughs) i kept expecting her like because there's the gag that you know she always gets carried away by the guards at the end of each chapter i expected her to eventually be like i'll just i know my way out at this point like (laughs) like, i kind of wish they like one up to you know yeah that would have been um that would have been good but uh yeah with yeah. that, do we want to move on to questions or is there anything else you two wanted to cover before we journey on? I think I'm good. I just wanted to touch on really quick uh, talking about the stuff that there is to do in Toad Town. Yeah, please. There is a lot of like side quest stuff in this game generally, but in Toad Town specifically, there is this guy called the Master uh, who if you walk past the first item shop, there are some steps up to a uh, 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 dojo. Uh, and there are three guys in there. One, like he's like a, a beetle or whatever. There's another guy who is like a, a they're called dupla ghosts, the regular enemies that can just transform into whatever. And then there's the master who is this really, really old guy. But when you first walk past the dojo, they're like, oh, the master is out like getting more powerful. When he comes back, you can, you know, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so then he comes back. You can go to the dojo. You can get your first degree, second degree and third degree uh, like fighter cards and there are a couple people around the world who if you talk to them are like oh i have a secondary degree card mario only has a first one i'm stronger than mario <laughs> um so then if you go back to them with the second or third degree card they're like god damn it <laughs> um, uh, that's fun but but yeah so you can fight you can fight the the two like lackeys in the dojo and they're they're fine mm. but then you can fight the master who like is this frail old man uh who has i don't know he has like 30 health or something but he has three stages <laughs> Uh, but you don't have to, you don't fight them all at once. You, you can, you fight them three separate times and he just gets stronger every time. Um, and his like final two forms, he's basically just like a ghost who's like floating, wearing this like gold regalia. Uh, and he has 99 health by the end. He is insanely strong. He's stronger than Bowser, uh, like the final Amazing. form of Bowser. And the way that he attacks you in, in the first combat, he just like like shuffles up to you and just goes like slowly moves his fist. And it does like nine damage. 
<laughs> oh, I remember. I remember that really restrained punch. Yeah, vividly. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's that stuff, which I just think is so good. I, I, I love that master stuff. But then there's a thing that I always do in this game uh, that is the chainmail side quest. I've never done that. Yeah. So you can get a letter. Actually, let me look in the back because uh, it gives you the. Whole... <laughs> let me consult the guide. Let me consult the guide. Second. Yeah. Uh, so you can talk to Goompapa in Goomba Village after you get uh, Paracarry, who is the guy you get in Dry Dry Ruins. Mm. He is a mail carrier. He delivers. He delivers mail. That's like a whole through line is that you can find letters and then deliver them and you'll get star pieces. Great. Uh, yeah. This one. Every time, so you go to Goompapa and he's like, oh, can you bring this letter to my friend in, like, he's the guy who stands outside the Mushroom Castle. And side note, that guy's name is Musty, which, sorry, the game did him so dirty by calling him Musty. <laughs> um, but then that guy's like, oh, great. He wants to go on a fishing trip. Can you bring this letter to a guy in Koopa Village? And then that guy's like, oh, can you bring it to somebody else and somebody else? And you, there are uh, literally 14 <laughs> different uh like different people you have to deliver the mail to that eventually they lead you all through the world so like i did i started doing these after dry dry outposts i guess so i could do the first like eight and then they were like oh you need Mm. to bring it to somebody in boo's mansion and then oh you need to bring it to somebody in yoshi's village so it's there's like person it's like toad town and then chapter location and then toad town and then chapter location so you're like hopping back and forth so it forces you to kind of like explore the world and like you know see all of it yeah and uh, by the end of it you know it starts out by just like goompapa inviting some people on a fishing trip and then it's it's like a kid talking to a boo because he likes haunted houses and the boo invites him to come to the mansion. He's like, oh, my gosh. Wow. Uh, uh, and then he's like, I have to tell my friend, the red Yoshi kid on Lava Lava Island. So you have to go there. And he's like, oh, my God, we're going to go to this haunted house, whatever. And then by the end of it, you bring it back to Goompapa, this final letter, <laughs> and he gives you this badge that like significantly increases the chance that uh, attacks will miss, like attacks from enemies will miss. And it's it's I don't it's it's like a fine badge, but the fact that they like strung out this entire quest throughout this whole game, I don't know what about it like draws me to it every time, but I always feel the need to do the entire thing. It's just amazing that. that this game contains that much, you know, yeah. like it's it's what like, I, I think in hearing you talk about this. One of the things that really is striking to me is thinking about the things that I associate with RPGs in general mm. and like long term adventures in RPGs. Mm. One of them is a sense of place, you know, like outside of it just needing to be like turn based combat or whatever, like the and leveling up and having stats. Yeah. Like the thing that I always care about most is this sense of like belonging to a world yeah. um, and having a quest that, you know, forces you to acknowledge that paper Mario has one, you know, because <laughs> I think it's, I think that is a thing that's weirdly easy to overlook about these games in particular mm. is like the mushroom kingdom is not just a place where you run from left to right and jump on the heads of bullet bill, but like <laughs> is a place that has its own self-contained lore and ideas and story mm-hmm. and like weirdness. to it uh that is like fun to engage with and this quest i uh, have to imagine the reason why you want to go back to it every single time is a you have this like strong nostalgic attachment to this game in general as evidenced by your beat to shit strategy guide but also (laughs) is like the world is fun and engaging and has great music and is colorful and cool and you do want to explore every single nook and cranny of it because they did a good job like Mm -hmm. they did a good job making an rpg world Mm -hmm. uh which is i think like the best thing you can say about this game is like they set out to do something that honest like truly sounds like a dumb idea and fucking nailed it 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think what's cool too, and this is like a subtler thing, I don't know how consciously direct it was, but I did notice that as you complete chapters, a lot of the different residents will start like visiting other places more often. Mm-hmm. So like once you defeat uh, the Cooper brothers in Koopa Fortress, all the previously imprisoned Babams are in Koopa Town. Mm-hmm. And if you have Bombette with you, they all like wish her farewell and her adventure and they explode into celebratory confetti. Yeah. <laughs> There's a subtle feeling that every town is kind of isolated. Like there's a Goomba town, there's a Koopa town, there's the the bomb fortress, there's the Yoshi village. But like as you play, it seems like everyone is kind of more connected, which is also a really nice theme of like, yeah, I I don't I don't know like how front and center it is, but I did notice it more this playthrough than not. It's a great game. I that that game. long quest reminds me a lot of the Biggeron Sword or the Big Goron yes. Sword. I've always said Biggeron. Uh but the Big Goron Sword quest in Ocarina of Time is like it almost feels like a satire of obscure <laughs> quest lines. It's like <laughs> yeah. you got to get the eye drops from the guy at the lake. You have to run, you have to make it in 15 minutes of real time to another place, you know, and then you meet the Big Goron who can craft you a giant sword that is like it's meant to be a one-handed sword for like a giant, but right. you have to do with two. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, it's the big Goron sword is also not even that good. Like it's really powerful, <laughs> but it's not easy to use. So it just makes the world feel richer. And it's like, it almost feels like, especially when these games came out, you know, I mean, the internet was around guides were being made. So like, it wasn't totally agnostic to that, but there is this feeling of like, if you just stumbled into this, it feels like you discovered it, yeah. which is also kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like esoteric quests when they are kind of uh, inherently like sort of like optional in like the most definitive sense of the word. Like you don't need this at all. Yeah. There's no story here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although that's every Elden Ring quest is the big <laughs> Goron sword, uh, which is kind of also fun. Yeah. Why don't we break here and move on to questions? Because there's a lot of topics that I think we've touched on that yeah. we'll explore more. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this, this game has been so fun to revisit and thank you again, AJ, for joining us to talk about it. This has been such a good time. I'm so yeah. glad to be here, honestly. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Welcome back. <laughs> we're wow. Back, baby. It is AJ's favorite game and he's leading us in. Uh, we're, we're back in the episode talking about Paper Mario. We've got a bunch of listener questions. Uh, thank you all so much for submitting them. In the future, if you'd like to submit questions to Into the Aether, you can uh, follow them on Twitter at Into the Aether or join the Discord. Into the cast. Uh, Into the cast. Yes. Yeah. I'm doing a great job. Um, <laughs> you, you are. You are. <laughs> I opted to to intro us to, into this part of the uh, the episode. And I am uh, only a little bit regretting it. But anyway, the f- <laughs> I love it. I think it's great. We got asked a lot. So just to level set, like I didn't include every question here, but I think I, I did my best. If there were questions that were like, I think on a very similar topic, I would combine them. And then towards the end, there's a question that literally over five people asked. So I just like... <laughs> morphed it into one big topic which we'll get to eventually so anyway yeah uh so this first one is a uh a combined question from twitter from at peppermint pier they say i've never played any of the mario rpgs how does this compare 
to other JRPGs, would you recommend these games to a series beginner? Uh, and then also from at Chase Albi, uh, Mario games are often trying to appeal to a broad base of players and player ages. How well do you think Paper Mario serves as an RPG for, quote, everyone? Is it simplified enough for someone who has never played an RPG before and robust enough uh, for someone who's played a ton of them? Uh, very good questions. Yeah, so there's there's a lot there's a lot here to talk about. Um, yeah, I would say in terms of Chase's question, uh, is it simplified for someone who's never played and robust enough for someone who's played a ton of them? I think our nine and ten year old selves, I think, uh, <laughs> maybe suggest that it is. Um, mm. I definitely think I think in a modern playthrough i would say if you're someone who is experienced at least a little bit you're gonna have a great time with this game and i think that i could see this game being still a great entry point into rpgs for for a young kid but i feel like it would have to be like a play with the parent thing or like mm-hmm. you know play with someone else mm-hmm. i mean i think it's all subjective things are going to come easier or harder to everybody i do think that the game again you know, delivers and and teaches mechanics in a really good way. That's that's easy for someone just learning these concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that the difficulty demands a lot. So I could see that being kind of the main barrier of yeah. whether or not this is like the entry point or not. What do you two think? I would say in terms of, uh, again, the, the last part of Chase's thing is a simple thread for someone who's never played and robust enough for someone who has. I would say yes to that because having played it as a child and now having played it now as a uh, 28 year old person, I am having just as much fun as I was when I was a kid and I'm still engaged as much as I was when I was a kid, but I feel like I'm engaged with different parts of it. So one of you had said earlier on, like when you level up, you can, you know, level up your health, level up your FP. And if you level it up enough, like you'll be fine. Um, But, you know, as I was playing this game as a teen, I think was my most recent playthrough. And then now I was the first stuff I'm leveling up is my badge power. I I just I I maxed out my badge power because there are so many badges that can do so many things, including give you more health or, or, or flower power. Right. And I think engaging with that stuff on like a strategic level and that also keeps your health and your FP kind of low. So you do have to kind of think about, as Stephen was saying, Shin Megami Tensei style, like turn order and and like how much damage can you like take in this next turn or or should you like try not to be attacked or whatever. So I think I think it it, it is it is simple, simple enough for someone who's never played, but it also has layers below that uh, for people who enjoy this kind of game. Yeah, I'm coming at this from a really weird space because the two of you actually have experience with this as like <laughs> kids. Sure. <laughs> AJ, you in particular, I feel like are going at this from like, I'm going to revisit this at every formative point in my life yes. throughout the course of all of it. Uh, so I, yeah. I feel like you have the most complete idea of, of how this feels uh, from multiple ages. But for me, I, I think, you know, the easiest thing to say is like, thankfully, Nintendo has put this on Switch online on the N64 thing. So like you can check it out at your leisure and see if you like it. Um, I feel like they almost get there, right? Like there are a lot of things that are are really strong about this game in terms of onboarding people into the genre, chief among them being a thing that we were talking about in the break, like really small numbers makes things very helpful and allows you to like, even as a kid, like do the math, like the simple mm-hmm. math in your head to figure out, you know, exactly how many turns it's going to take to take out a Goomba <laughs> or two. <laughs> yeah. um, but alongside that, you do have these elements of like, 
you know, I, I think the UI is like super busy, especially when you get into like the BP section of things and the badges sure. and the amount of choice that you have there. And if you're really like bumping up against everything and trying to find every badge and every star piece you possibly can, like you're presented with so much choice that I could see it almost being overwhelming. I almost wish, you know, if I were to recommend this as like, hey, if you're like an eight year old and this is going to be your first ever RPG, I actually do wish it kind of leaned into being a little bit simpler. Like I would mm. almost th- this is a, a wild thing to say, and I, I don't fully agree with it, but I'm going to say it out loud anyway because it popped into my head and we're recording a podcast but like i almost <laughs> wish that this game wasn't for me like i almost wish that this game was built from the ground up to be for like a 10 year old like that actually does seem like a really cool thing that i don't think we're getting enough outside of mm. like pokemon in some respects like i feel yeah. like if i were to point somebody to a turn-based battle rpg like pokemon is kind of always going to be the one that i would point people to because it almost mm. doesn't even feel like you're playing an rpg and this one gets so close to that as we were just talking about in terms of your very long quest to get the chainmail badge like <laughs> i i do feel like this this game kind of like eventually pulls the mission impossible mask off and like is like hey i was dragon quest the whole time um (laughs) which is like sick don't get me wrong i think it's amazing that this game contains multitudes Mm. but i i do wonder if if there was like a more streamlined version of this game that really was built from the ground up to be for a very specific like Mm. audience that that didn't have a lot of uh that didn't have a relationship with the genre before going in yeah Yeah. i get where you're coming from brendan because i think there is amidst the game kind of finding its voice narratively as we've discussed there is this tug of war between this game is like tailor-made for a child's first rpg and then shimigami tensei 4 and then it's you so know? fucking yeah. hard yeah. <laughs> yeah um i actually do have a question for you though because as we've mm-hmm. often discussed in the show you only got into jrpgs recently the the first question here from peppermint pier how does this compare to other jrpgs as someone you know as an adult who has recently gotten into the genre like do you think that there are other games that we have played for the show or on your own that like you felt did a, did a better job of what this game is seemingly trying to do. That's interesting. Um, yeah. I'll go back to Pokemon again and, and yeah. say just like blanket before I say anything else. Like I do think Pokemon, like if, if that's your speed and if you feel like you can get into Pokemon, I know there's like a whole bunch of like cultural baggage with Pokemon because it's existed for so long and it's so popular. I can see people being like, I don't think I even want to begin to engage with that, which mm. I understand, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a, that's a point you can have if you want. But outside of that, I mean like, the one that worked for me was Dragon Quest Eleven, And yeah. like, I don't think that that's the easiest game to get into per se, but the combat is actually like really streamlined for the opening hours and the story and the characters are so strong and that world is so beautiful and the music is so good that it really does just feel like reading a really like wonderful high fantasy book mm. um, or like watching a great anime uh, more than it does feel like I, I I need to like engage with the strategy side of this combat. And I think that game gives a lot more leeway to players in terms of letting them grind if they need to or finding more creative and interesting solutions to things. Whereas in this game, as much as I love the amount of choice that they give you, I do feel like you're kind of limited in terms of your overall strategy to like, who is your companion and what badges do I have? And there are so many options on the badge front at a certain point that it's like I'm totally lost here actually I don't yeah. even, I don't even know how to form a cohesive strategy out of the the, the hand I've been dealt in some yeah. cases so I, I again I, I think Paper Mario comes down to like it's serving two masters in a way where they like they want to be a sequel to Super Mario RPG but they also want it to be its own thing and they haven't quite mm. figured it out yet mm. um, so I, I think there are better RPGs for onboarding people I mean you and I have talked a lot about Three Houses as like a possible yeah. entry point in that regard obviously that's like a tactical strategy game so kind of a different style of 
combat, but not so different um, and still very engaging and has so mm-hmm. much character and story and so much interesting stuff going on that I feel like that's also a really good place to onboard yourself with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I tried so many things. I mean, technically Octopath Traveler is also like pretty early on there for me as well. But even that game gets like really, really, really deep very quickly in ways yeah. that I think kind of betray it being an on ramp for people. Yeah, there mm-hmm. it, it, it is a genre that is really there is a huge void of like, this is a game meant to be your first one. And this is really the only game I can think of that seems to have set out to be that. And mm-hmm. then quickly became Shin Megami Tensei four, mm-hmm. uh, like yeah. an anamorph, mm-hmm. uh, which I love as someone who knows the genre, but I can see being intimidating. I mean, there's a re like, I love this game as a kid, but I did stop for a decade at yeah. Huff and Puff because yeah. he was so hard. So yeah, I would say like for better or for worse, it makes the biggest effort to teach you. And I do think whether or not you complete the whole game, if this is a newer genre to you, I do think Paper Mario does a good job teaching you about like the importance of turn order and status effects and yeah. buffing in a way that other games are more uh, esoteric about. Yeah. yeah, like as I was talking about the way they the way they teach you about the idea of not always attacking through Gumbario's tattle ability, I think is like really, really smart. It almost makes me wish that there was a game that I could point to and just be like, yes, this is the one. But even totally. the ones the other contemporary games I can think of, which are like the Mario and Luigi games, actually, I think are a great example of that. Like they are that, but they are also trying to differentiate themselves so much that they end up kind of losing their way a little bit. We're like, OK, controlling these two characters simultaneously actually adds more complexity complexity than you really need Mm -hmm. uh so that's not really good entry point either for xyz reason um there's always a caveat here so it makes it very difficult yeah exactly because there's a caveat of like difficulty and how 90s is it that's like the two like (laughs) bars in my head right really quick before we move to the next one brendan bringing up the the badges getting really obtuse really quick there is a badge you can get in dry dry ruins that is useful in one room of chapter three Which one was and it? nowhere else. So there's a secret badge right before you get the the second hammer. You have to like jump down into like that cage to get the chest. If you hop on. Let it be known that AJ is not consulting the guide for this. I'm not, no. They are just saying this off the dome. This is the yeah, this is a guideless, <laughs> yeah. guideless hammer guide. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you hop down into that area, but you like hop off to the side, there's like a ledge on the wall on the, the wall there, and you can walk across that ledge, walk up, and then there's just a wall you can walk through that is not indicated to be a secret wall or anything at all. There is no way a person would know this wall. <laughs> wall exists behind uh-huh. this wall there is a badge called the slow go badge which s- makes mario walk everywhere and disables your ability to spin or to run away from battles uh, and it's only useful yes. in the room in chapter three where you have to walk through all those sleeping guys to get uh, a key or something oh yeah but you can you can still walk through that room without that badge right. this just like takes away the, <laughs> i guess maybe on the n64 it was hard to like move the uh control stick a little bit um yeah everyone had damaged their controllers after one round of mario party so yeah it was it was hard to <laughs> yeah do anything um, subtle but like that's just like the level of like why does this badge exist why is it hidden away like it's some big secret or something like what is the point of this badge existing and and just like why add that level yeah. of complexity when you there's literally no reason. 
it almost feels like a lot of like a lot of the badges I love, but it also feels like like there must have been so many ideas from the yeah. developers here of like how combat should go. And, and to their credit, I think they aimed for simplicity mm-hmm. above all else, which I think really paid off. But the badges are almost like honorable mentions of mechanics that could have been yeah. mandatory. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like here's like every idea that didn't make it, but you can still opt to add into the pile, yeah. which is mm-hmm. kind of fun. Just wild. So I just wanted to touch on that. But let's move on now to the next question from at Callisto X. If the franchise continued in a similar fashion to the first two, instead of what it's become now, what kind of new partners do you think we'd be seeing based off the new worlds or creatures Mario has encountered in the more recent games? Oh, I man. love this question. Yeah, this question's great. I don't know if, if they exist in Thousand Year Door, but I would love like a Thwomp party member. Just like one of the mm. big like bricks oh, that yeah. are that always gets stomped because then they would make a great like grumpy tank, you know, like their whole, <laughs> their whole purpose is to get slammed. So I think that could be fun. Um, I also think any of the cat variants, that's what I was going to say, be yeah. fun party members, um, like the cat Goombas and honestly, like why not Gooigi as a party member? Let's mm-hmm. see what he's up to in the two <laughs> dimensions. Yeah. Uh, so but I think, I think if I had to choose like a creature, uh, a, a thwomp or, um, I, I don't know if thwomp is the, I'm thinking of the rectangle with the bandaid on his back. I think like a custom. Oh thwomp. yeah. Yeah. I forget what those are called. I think he's a, th- I think that's a thwomp, right? Cause there's also the square ones that go. Arr, arr. Yeah. One's uh, called a thwomp. One's called a that. womp, I think. Right. Something like that. Or am I making yeah. that up? No, I think you might be right. So whatever the whatever the rectangular yeah. one is, that's the party member. Yeah. yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, How about you too? I do feel like Mario Odyssey really just kind of blew the doors off. <laughs> I want a possible. real human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just the new Donk City guy in a just fedora. A that would be hilarious. <laughs> How good would that be? Just like a paper man. <laughs> Or that like weird dragon Bowser rides in uh, in that one chapter. Yeah, I mean, I do love honestly. <laughs> I do love when Bowser uh, teams up, mm-hmm. which makes me feel like there could be fun use of the Koopa Kids. That's as what well, I was. Yeah, that's what I was as thinking. Oh, party members. Yeah, yeah. There, there are a lot of there. I'm trying to think of other like newer creatures. There's like the 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 guy you can swim around on in. Oh in, yeah, uh, Plessy. Plessy. Right? I think that's a nickname for plesiosaur if I had to guess. Oh, that's good. Um, oh, yeah. shit. Also, the first area, uh, I'm just thinking about Mario Odyssey again. The first area in Mario Odyssey, when you uh, enter the hat realm and it's like all the houses made of top hats and all of the ghosts wearing hats or they are hats. Oh, wow. uh, and that's that's where you get Cappy. Like, that's fascinating to me. Mm. Just a bunch of different hats the whole game. Yes. Mm. The weird evil rabbits. They could be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're like the villains you fight that eventually join the team. You know, it was Spewart. He was the one that threw up everywhere. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it was Spewart. Oh, he loved right. art. His name was Spew Art. And he just was like, yeah. he would get like really sick. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I thanks so much for reminding me of Spewart. I think. <laughs> I think. My day's going a lot better now that I'm thinking about Spewart. <laughs> do you ever do you ever see in like Times New Roman font what your brain is telling you to say and you, you say no in real time? I just said <laughs> Spewart and Thwomp would be cool was what I saw in my head. Oh, man. I mean, it would be cool, though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't have anything else. You guys get to move on. Yeah, we can move on before Spewart shows up again. Yeah, let's leave Spewart behind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have another. Uh, uh, 
Another uh, combined question here from uh, at M. Peter Hurley. Uh, Y'all ever played Super Paper Mario? If so, do you think the aesthetic slash tone of the games transfers over well to the platform slash exploration genre? Uh, And also at Amazon Queen Kate, which Paper Mario is Ichiyal's favorite Paper Mario, assuming you've played more than just the OG? Great questions. I guess just to quickly do the second, I currently would say Inside Story, if we're counting Mario and Luigi, I would say Inside Story is my favorite like Mario RPG I've played. Mm. I feel very strongly that it is very likely that Thousand Year Door will be my favorite, but I've really enjoyed all of them. But if I had to choose one out of at least I've played Superstar Saga, Mm. Super Mario RPG, Paper Mario, Bowser's Inside Story, I would give it to... uh, Bowser I think I mean obviously the I've literally said the beginning of this episode that Paper Mario is probably my favorite game of all time but I think divorced from nostalgia and stuff honestly I would say that I think Thousand Year Door probably takes it over over the original Mm. it's just it's just like a tighter version of the original uh that's 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 like they just level the game up in every way I love this episode as a stealth ad for Thousand Year Door (laughs) yeah (laughs) very funny I have not played Super Paper Mario as mentioned, mm. but I did do some research while we were in a break earlier to see how I can play it. And guess what? That game is like $10 on eBay. So I will probably uh, pick a copy up and uh, maybe find a Wii somewhere and like make that happen. I think that'd be fun. Which Paper Mario is my favorite at the moment? This is going to be blasphemous, but at the moment, I might say Origami King. <laughs> sure. Which is pretty wild. I think, you know, although there's a lot to be said about how uh, poorly that combat came together, so much of that game is like really firing on all cylinders and is really spectacular. And I would still recommend that game to a lot of people, uh, even though the combat doesn't reward you at all, which is really (laughs) bizarre. The combat, in fact, gives you rewards to stop combat. Yes, exactly. Yes, it gives you it gives you money uh, so you can uh, skip combat by bribing the enemy, uh, which is absolutely toads to to do it for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's bananas. Uh, anyway, point being, I think that game is really good. Uh, Paper Mario, this one close second at the moment. But I do think that uh, I'm going to now endeavor to really like check out the rest of this franchise, at least as much of it as I can. I don't know how the Wii U one is going to shake out for me. Mm. Uh, but anyway, I do have Sticker Star. I have Paper Jam, which I'm excited to check out and see if that counts. If you were including <laughs> Mario and Luigi, though, which would be favorite of that? I'm curious. It's pretty tough. It's pretty yeah. tough. Inside Story was really good. Um, I do have a soft spot for Superstar Saga, though, at this point. I think it's just because it's the first one that I like really clicked yeah. with. Yeah, me yeah. too. Something about my experience with that game like really is ringing a lot of bells in my head. Um, not to say that I didn't like Inside Story, because obviously it was like really close to the top of my DS list. Mm. But yeah, uh, Superstar Saga really just uh, f- feels like the answer to what people have asked for from this franchise specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also the funniest. I would say like that, that had the funniest scripts yeah. to me. It's the weirdest. It begins with peach when she speaks bombs come out of her mouth. And like, yeah. that's the inciting of it. Yeah. And like, there's only so much of the, Oh, I'm stuck inside Bowser that like can continue to be funny after like 15 hours, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, the reason inside story is my favorite uh, of uh, at least the Mario and Luigi is I just love bowser as the protagonist like more yeah, than playing the, like, as bowser yeah. is mm-hmm. so good and it's yeah. so funny 
the two things that kind of hold that game back for me are actually things that I think Paper Mario does really well is mm. the the battles in Inside Story, just all of them were a little too long. Like mm. even like the random encounters were all like five minutes, whereas like Paper Mario, the battles are really quick, except the boss battles, which is like, I think the way to do it for the most part, you know, unless you're a game that is like all about the battles. I think the, the way if you're going from point A to point B and getting into battles, they should be quick like they are in Paper Mario, but still asking you to make sense of what's in front of you. So like, they're not quick in the way that you're just steamrolling. They're quick in the way of like, I know the most effective strategy and I'm going to do that to power through. Yeah. Whereas like Inside Story had a lot of really fun things where Bowser would like suck in enemies and then Mario and Luigi would fight them. But like that was every battle. So it kind of had the problem of like, Final Fantasy VIII, where every battle is a five-minute summon sequence. <laughs> so, like, it just really adds up when you have to see that every... Even if it's cool every time, it's, like, it's a lot to sit through, especially in a game like that where you just want to see what happens next. Mm-hmm. But um, I this is all, like, the minute Brendan and I play 20 minutes more of Thousand Year Door, we're going to have to, like, emergency add an epilogue being like, um, Thousand Year Door is my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know? uh, I really, I see that coming. Yeah. Yes. Because I think, again, it sounds like it has the sharp script of Mario and Luigi with the refined battle of Paper Mario, which is like the dream. Yeah. But that's like mm-hmm. what all these games are kind of working towards. Yeah. Um, I do, I do appreciate that, that Mario and Luigi is distinctly its own energy. Like, I mean, there's a game where Paper Mario and Mario and Luigi team up. The Mario in Mario and Luigi I think is a nicer guy than Paper Mario. There, there's a little bit more, you get a little bit more character. Maybe I should have saw that in my brain before I said it. But, no, that's uh, good. The, I mean, I, I do mean this sincerely. The Mario and Mario and Luigi like speaks, I and mean, it's all in yeah. mock Italian, but he speaks and he takes action. Whereas Paper Mario is just totally nothing. Like there's nothing going on. He's just a blank vessel for for input commands. He he just gloats when he when he kills. Yeah, he just he he mocks Sonic when he yeah. wins. <laughs> Even in the moment where they're like the detective investigating the murder of the penguin mayor is like, did you do this? And Mario deadpan face just shakes his head twice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Whereas Mario Marluigi goes, mm-hmm, after everything. <laughs> right. And also but Luigi much nicer in Paper Mario. The Luigi mm. in Mario and Luigi is a creep who like runs from conflict and is mm. is it's a mistake that he is cast in both adventures yeah. in the plot. I think yeah. it's great that he's the, there. Am I mixing but, up this game with another one where Luigi is there briefly and Bowser doesn't know his name? Is that's that this in game? Superstar Saga. Yeah. No, Super. Oh, maybe in this game, Luigi just stays at the home. Yeah, the Luigi time. stays home because when Mario has to like say like, oh, I'm going on an adventure. He's like, oh, great. Someone has to stay back and watch the house. So I guess it's me while my brother goes on this great adventure. Yes, yes, yes. I do remember there's a gag in Super in a uh, Thousand Year Door where Luigi is in like the hometown the whole time, and every time you go back to him, he updates you on the adventure he's having. And oh, while he's wow. talking, both Mario and the party member are sleeping visibly. <laughs> like he just won't stop, and they both just drift into sleep while he's talking, oh, which is wow. so funny. Luigi has many shades. Do you think that was like stealth marketing for a year of Luigi Mario uh, Thousand Year Door sequel? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I feel like Year of Luigi was like someone owed a DD like pendants or something. Whereas like you need to like, you, as a warlock, you need to pay your pact by yeah. giving us a Year of Luigi. Yeah. 
Right. You'll have 20 years of financial success (laughs) for every one year of Luigi. Just to touch on the the first question, have you played Super Paper Mario? Yes, I have. And I do think the aesthetic and tone of the game transfers over well to the platform exploration genre. I'm really excited to play that, too. That I think for me, the next big ones are Super Paper Mario and Thousand Year Door, which I think will be great comparison points of like, you know, this is the one that everyone loves. And this is the one that kind of marked the turn away from the franchise. But is I think at this point, more beloved than not, I think after... Super Paper Mario is when it's more hit or miss than yeah. than not. Great. Uh, so moving on to this next one from at Chet Willinger. Chapter four is my favorite. What is your favorite chapter? Let me like briefly touch on this. I would yeah. say I really like chapter three. Yeah. I also liked the Yoshi chapter a lot. I think it was a fun area to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, and the like the volcano dungeon I especially like because every puzzle is a slapstick setup for the archaeologist. <laughs> yes. So like every time you do a puzzle, it like there's one point where you just have to push a block in a straight line uphill. And I'm like, why am I doing this? this is so boring? Yeah. And then it's revealed there's like a giant spiked ball on top that's in the direct path of Colorado, the archaeologist. Yeah. It's so funny to see him constantly like be Tom and Jerry with just the environment. Um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's fair. It's very good. And I think the ice, the ice one is a standout as well with the murder mystery and the ice palace. Yeah, yeah really I would cool. say I would say seven is my favorite as yeah. short answer. <laughs> Same. Uh, cool. Next one from Donnie Whedon. Uh, as a huge fan of 8 slash 16 bit style video games, seeing games be remade or given the option to play in those styles is one of my favorite things. Uh, are there any games that you would want to see get the quote paper style treatment uh, or that you think would just be fun in that style? I love this, this question. Yeah, this is a really cool question because it, it it raises, I think, a big question about like Square Enix's current strategy of taking everything and putting it in the Octopath engine. Mm-hmm. Like whoever on that team like built that engine and it's very clear that like, that was like an investment for Square Enix so they could start to remake stuff like Live Alive, etc. Dragon Quest 3 is getting a remake in that engine as well. But like, does it have to be that? Can it be paper instead? Like, why not? Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess we have to define the paper style because I think like... What is a paper like? Yeah. What is a paper like? If I'm defining it as 2D characters on a 3D environment, like you could apply that to like you just mentioned the the Octopath style game which I think is a really cool presentation. Mm-hmm. But then there are games like Bug Fables that are very much like being straightforward with how much they're, you know, a revival of a Paper Mario RPG. But in that game, while I really enjoyed it and while I like the character design, it was like so beholden to the presentation of Paper mm-hmm. Mario that it actually took me out of it sometimes. I'm like, you don't have to recreate the houses being built and the little cardboard doorways like mm-hmm. well, that's cool but like i don't get the sense that you're taking the style as a foundation rather than just mimicking it yeah but you know yeah. Yeah. the game is is very clear that it's like trying to recreate that style of rpg because nintendo hasn't very much yeah. a stardew valley scenario but i think that if a game were to be inspired by the paper mario presentation it would have to serve the tone of the game. I think when you have a game in this presentation, it immediately kind of adds levity. And it also adds, I think, a little bit of self-awareness um, on an unconscious level. It almost makes it like a theater, like a like a puppet show almost, which 
I think yeah. the thousand year door leans into with the audience mm-hmm. being part of every battle, which I love. And that's again, like in a lot of Mario games, there's the applause when you do something. So like adding that to turn-based battles, like the audience can boo you if you're doing poorly. is <laughs> so funny. So I think it really depends on the tone. I think like just taking it and, and putting it on a game, I don't think is very interesting, but I do think if the game has a certain tone or a certain like style, I think it could be a really fun thing. I mean, I love how Octopath looks and I think Octopath is so clearly a love letter to that era of game that it does work. It, it does have, I would say that that's like the closest analog to a Paper Mario style that worked for me. Yeah. It's hard to say definitively, but that would be, that would be my perspective on it. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said, Stephen, like like Octopath and, and like triangle strategy are yeah. like, you know, the, the, the closest we get to like a love letter to the paper genre or whatever. But I do think <laughs> I, I do think like a tactics game uh, uh, like that mm. could be really cool in the paper in the paper format, because I think uh, mm. the the having the character portrait be what they look like in you know on on or during the actual game instead of the 8-bit versus the like you know uh, dialogue character portrait i think that yeah. could that, that could be really cool to like see a fully you know illustrated person do a move or whatever uh you know even if it's just like one frame of them like swinging a sword and then they go back to their default illustration or whatever like i think that stuff could be really really neat uh in the in the paper yeah I cannot believe how casually you just pitched Paper Fire Emblem as if it's not like the most brilliant thing I've ever heard in my life. And it's also right in front of us. It's Intelligent yeah. Systems. It's intelligent They've systems, had the paper yeah. all along. <laughs> they have the paper. But I do think you're right. I think tactics in this presentation is a brilliant use of it mm-hmm. because it, it does add to the readability. And also like, I do think tactics often, unless you're going for like a kind of a, gr- a grim tactics game, it does usually benefit from having a little bit of levity. Right. So like in advanced wars or a fire emblem with this presentation, I think it could be a lot of fun. That's a great idea. Thank you. Mm. Thank you so much. <laughs> I feel like, um, a recent example of this is the Dio field Chronicle, which has this yeah. like absolutely gorgeous, uh, hand-drawn uh, character portraits that I love so much. And then the actual 3D models of those characters in game like really betray that. So like, why then? Yeah, why do, not just do, have it be that? Do yeah. something more creative if you have this incredible artistic vision. Um, right. The other thing I, I keep asking myself about these games is like, how do I feel very specifically about the paper aesthetic? Like, is that actually serving the game for me? And yes, there are some like fun visual gags in Paper Mario, the first one at least specifically, yeah. but I feel like Mario and Luigi as a franchise almost kind of proves that you don't need it to be paper to be like Paper Mario, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it, that is co-opting a lot of the mechanics stuff that's going on in these games and doing it to great effect. Um, it's not really until recently, I think, that those games, part of my enjoyment of them comes from them being made of paper like origami king is this visual spectacle it's this like aesthetic feast specifically because they like went the extra mile to make sure that you know that everything is made of paper at all times because there are creases and cracks Mm -hmm. and textures all over the place you know it's a nintendo in a post like yoshi's woolly world and kirby's epic yarn world where they know so well how to take these kinds of real world textures and turn them into video game textures and there's an inflection point in paper mario where they like finally figure that out i think Mm. and What's interesting is like this game for me specifically, the first one, that wasn't the draw for me at any point. 
you know? Yeah, you, you can kind of forget that that's a factor, even. Yeah. I often do. Like, I don't think that, like, yeah. oh, they're all made of paper. Origami King doesn't let you forget. Yeah. Is right. The thing. And I do think that the paper concept benefits the platforming way more than it does the RPG stuff. Yeah. Uh, like you just said, that's a, that's a really interesting observation. I, I, I'm just, I was just thinking, Brendan, as you were saying, like, you know, Origami King, everything looks and is intentionally made to look like it is paper, made me think of like, what if Fantasian but paper mache? Like, what if Fantasian but it's paper? Uh, yeah. And it's like somebody paper maches an entire town or whatever. And then there are like actual, you know, stop motion pictures that they've taken of a hand drawn portrait. And like that is now the game. I don't know if it like benefits any, any, any type of of uh, like gameplay in that way but i think that Just methodology be, be fun to do. is cool yeah. yeah i think it would be really cool to see a game made like that and i guess maybe like cuphead kind of is kind of like that i know it's like half a bit of us saying paper is a genre but you bringing up fantasian and us having mentioned octopath and triangle strategy alongside paper mario to yeah. me if i had to define like what this <laughs> what this genre is it really is homage like it's it's yeah. a it's a purposeful like we are wearing on our sleeves that this is a game that was made out of organic material because we love this thing mm -hmm. that we're making this thing like in honor of the genre almost, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really fascinating to me because yeah. I kept thinking, I'm like, are Parappa the Rapper and Unjammer Lammy paper right. games? And right. I'm like, I think that's just an art style. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting to see how all these RPGs are connected. Yeah. I, I just keep coming back to Bug Fables, which is like kind of this looming specter, I think, mm -hmm. over this entire over this entire conversation, which you've already brought up, Stephen. But I, I do remember thinking while playing that game, like you got all the mechanics stuff down pat. Like that's the thing that I'm most interested in pulling from Paper Mario. Yeah. I don't need these bugs to be made of paper also. Yeah, I think that game looks spectacular, but did it need to be that aesthetic? You know, did did I need it to look like paper for me to know that it's a Paper Mario homage? Right. Like, no, not really. And honestly, that game had such a cool kind of similar to Hollow Knight. There was a whole like bug red wall fantasy mm. story going on that like if it just had like a 2D illustrated style like Hollow Knight, I think I would have liked it even more, you know, not yeah. to like totally go against what the developers wanted to make. It was their vision, obviously. But yeah, yeah I do think it's like when you're just echoing a style versus putting your own spin on it, it's going to read as that. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, we're getting these moments of like really cool character design and cool story ideas that are not just Paper Mario that could have sh shown brighter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Moving on from at Walla Pratt. Uh, hey, Will, uh, can you <laughs> can you talk a little bit about Nintendo mandating that Mario's enemy gallery no longer uh, be personified like they were in these early RPGs? Yeah. And there's a follow up here as well. Uh, oh, yeah. Him. Sorry. And then the uh, follow up. Do you all have any thoughts on Thousand Year Door if you've played it? I feel like we've touched on this a little mm -hmm. bit already, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, I don't know. It's a little silly that that's a rule. Cause it's also like, it wasn't like some third party game was like mocking Mario. Like it was like a first party Nintendo game that was putting a creative spin. It's all internal. Right. It's all people who work at Nintendo, like talking about Mario. Yeah. <laughs> I don't fully understand it. I don't really know if it, this like rule was created in response to Paper Mario or if it's just something that was put in place that has now since impacted Paper Mario most directly because as a franchise they are all about putting creative spins on established Mario stuff. So yeah, yeah it's kind of weird. I, I, I think it's only to the detriment of Paper Mario and, and other games because yeah. like well I get that they they probably have this in place for like merchandise reasons if I had to guess or like you know like 
legal reasons to protect their like visual IP. It's it's creatively limiting uh, in terms of like even other Mario games, like, you know, straightforward <laughs> Mario games, you know? Yeah. It creates a thing where you have to create new creatures to be interesting versus just like... Like, like- Spewart. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Spewart is imagine? directly born of this limitation. Yeah. Making a law that prevents Lady Bo from existing in place of Spewart. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. We want more of that. I just, I, I, I feel like it's, it's kind of because Nintendo was afraid for people to start asking the questions. Wait, did that Goomba I just crushed have a family? <laughs> Honestly, like, I feel like that's, that's really part of the reasons they were like, you can't personify these en- enemies because it makes them like it, it gives you positive feelings toward them that might make you feel weird about having to kill them all in the next. But I don't even think that really holds yeah. up because in Paper Mario, you I don't, are. I think it was for much colder business reasons than that. If I had to guess. Sure. I, I, I mean, I don't know if they've ever publicly commented on this. I've only yeah. heard this like secondhand. Yeah. When it like, I think this came up a lot when Origami King first came out because mm. There's a really great character who is a babam that is just a babam, and he exists <laughs> as a great character because of how he's written. But like, if right. he could have any visual identity, even if it was just a, a hat like Umbaria, it would have gone a long way. Yeah. So I don't really know what to say other than I think it's kind of a bummer, and I don't know what Nintendo's reasons were. Yeah. Um, if anyone has like access to like what they've said publicly, I, I'd be interested. But you know, it doesn't change the fact that it's kind of a silly rule to have yeah leak information to us <laughs> at into the aether podcast at gmail.com Ugh, yeah turn um, on your employers and thousand year door i think we'll we'll probably eventually get a bonus if i had to guess so yeah so wait on up. that yeah yeah great uh this one's from Saclex in the discord who will voice paper mario in the super mario bros movie <laughs> uh foley artists spewart Spewart voice of Foley artist. That's very funny. Yeah, Spewart will voice it for Mario. Yeah, I I think that's as good as answers I could have come up with. Uh, From Kim in the Discord. Hi, Kim. Uh, The existence of Paper Mario implies the existence of Rock Mario and Scissors Mario. Do you agree? And if so, what are their games like? I love the do you agree as part of this. <laughs> yeah. There, there's room for us to say no and move on. To the next one. <laughs> uh, I feel um, like I feel like with, we know there's Metal Mario. There is Metal Mario. Metal Mario does exist. That's true. What is his game like? It's combat, as we know. Oh, but it's fucking Smash Bros. Yes. God, there is a hat in uh, Paper Mario that uh, turns you to stone for, for a round. I, I, I'm most curious about this this follow up here. What are their games like? Yeah. Yeah. And for me, Scissors Mario has to be a horror game, right? Like I immediately think of Clock Tower <laughs> or something like an evil Holy Mario shit. just with scissor hands or something. <laughs> rock Mario, maybe it could be a music game if we're stretching the definition oh, of rock. Rock you know? Mario. Yeah. 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 Rock Mario. I love that. That's uh, all I got I, for that, though. That's really nice. That's a, that was a really nice answer to that question. <laughs> I think we did a great job. This next one is from Jared in the Discord. Uh, Would you like to see a Mario game that plays exactly like Xenoblade Chronicles 3 and you have the entire cast of Mario in your party? Absolutely. The entire cast of Mario implies like hundreds of characters, (laughs) which is a little bit what Xenoblade Chronicles 3 already feels like, to be clear. (laughs) Yeah, having every Mario character yell their catchphrase, like just hearing like like in the distance as Donkey Kong throws a giant banana sword at an enemy. Yeah, Uh, That sounds great. 
Uh, I mean, I can't honestly, stop puking all this art up. <laughs> God, damn it. <laughs> Spirit has a British accent in the Xenoblade Chronicles 3 version of this. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. I feel like there are there are elements of the chain attack mechanic that feel Mario Party-esque, you know? So I feel like oh, there's yeah. there's a connection there. But the answer I think is is yes. <laughs> and I think it speaks for itself. From at Kyle Labriola on Twitter, in interviews about games like Paper Mario, F-Zero, and Star Fox, Nintendo has implied that they only make sequels if they can think of a new twist or gimmick, because otherwise the sequel would be, quote, redundant. Uh, what do you think about that philosophy uh, around making sequels? I love this question, and I think it it's especially interesting in regards to Paper Mario because I think we've you mentioned AJ that mm-hmm. Thousand Year Door essentially is a refinement of Paper Mario, and in the eyes of Nintendo, that would be like an atypical sequel because they like I think a more traditional Nintendo sequel would be Yoshi's Island after Super Mario World. This is a totally mm-hmm. new mm-hmm. series, mm-hmm. and I think that works to their benefit more often than not, and I think it's creatively more interesting route. But I do think every now and then there is a huge place for refinement especially in a case like paper mario that is a game that kind of has a little bit of an internal tug of war and i'm really glad we got thousand year door yeah you know so like i think that like i think there's a place for both and i think there's a there's a danger to both and i think like we see that in final fantasy a lot Mm. too for for an analog because final fantasy takes a similar approach every final fantasy kind of just throws out the last one and and makes a new one. Mm-hmm. Yet, you could argue that the first six Final Fantasies are more about refining what came before. Like, yeah. Final Fantasy IV and Final Fantasy VI feel like they're in the same series, and I think six definitely takes a lot of what four established and runs with it. Whereas, like, seven is totally new, and then you get to stuff like 13 and 15, and it's like, it, you wouldn't even know they're connected at a certain point. Hmm. So I don't know. I think it's like there is appeal in both, because I think sometimes you do want, like, this game is a great proof of concept, like, refine it and let's see the next one. Uh, but you also don't want to just, like, stagnate with that kind of like i feel like zelda for a while was just sort of that idea of like we're just going to keep doing ocarina of time and it was always great but like right before breath of the wild you can kind of tell people were like okay like Mm -hmm. are we really just going to keep doing this Mm -hmm. you know like but you can also tell that they went into those with this mindset right like majora's mask versus ocarina of time is that it has that big twister gimmick wind waker same thing twilight princess same thing you could turn to a fucking dog Mm -hmm. yeah like it just it just keeps (laughs) happening over and over again but I I think going into this game saying like, or I think Zelda is a great example, going into a new Zelda game saying like, cool, we know like the base format of how these games work, but we need a new twist or gimmick right. to layer on top of that means that you're not thinking about like tearing it all down and thinking about this entire thing from the beginning again, like literally going back to the drawing board and thinking like, what is Zelda uh, going into it saying we know what Zelda is, but what's the cool thing about this Zelda yeah. is like not really even I don't think that that's actually engaging with this philosophy in a way, you know? Yeah. And that's why you get games like Breath of the Wild and they feel like such huge moments in Nintendo's history is them actually abiding by this idea that they've set in stone and saying, like, we can rethink what Zelda is entirely and still have it come out the other end being the best one, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. Yeah, it feels like this mentality of Nintendo's applies more to the lesser series in terms of like what makes the most money because if like at a certain point with zelda it's like we don't want to shake it too much and again it took a long time for them to take the risk of breath of the wild Mm -hmm. which even then that was sort of a look back in some ways too mario similar deal like mario like you're always going to be 
jumping in some way though they are i would say like mario they're always surprisingly experimental with so it really is case by case of like when nintendo takes big risks or not yeah overall i think that that is the approach to take because i think more of the same but it's slightly refined we see more of in other big companies like i think ubisoft lives and dies by that with most of their games and like yeah sometimes it really works i mean brendan you said many times like whenever there's a new ubisoft series like assassin's creed one was the proof of concept and two was the game that like brought it to life like every yeah. now and then it, a game does sort of demand a sequel in that way of like oh you were so close to something really interesting here maybe give it another shot but then when you just release the same game every year that's when it's like all right guys yeah. maybe try something new but yeah. sometimes I, I i not to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth over and over again here but i do think that you're right that there are some games that really kind of demand that right like look at the splatoon franchise splatoon yeah. 1 to splatoon 2 to splatoon 3 are like not wildly different from one another they almost in some cases just feel like huge dlc packs that you could have released for splatoon one but that's a game that demands a sequel every single time one comes out and i think there are from from kyle's question here like f-zero is a perfect example of a game that i think people just want another one of like the, yeah. you don't need to change a lot about f-zero you don't need to add any new twist or gimmick you just need to make another f-zero and i think people will lose their fucking minds over yeah. it because there's nothing quite like it do you think that's what nintendo's hang-up is with f-zero is like how do you make racing more interesting than we already have i i probably yeah, yeah i do wonder if, if f-zero just doesn't hit the sales required sure. either you know like i do think they're like my beloved elite beat agents you know is is doomed to exist in the ds realm for Forever because like it just didn't do as well as they needed it to which you know i understand on a certain level but you have zero and that's like it's something that everyone just wants like another entry of right. and especially when enough time passes and like like i think when there's enough time between entries the philosophy of a new entry actually carries more meaning mm. just because of what are like modern conventions you know like what's a expected feature that was a dream in 1997 right it's, you know so it's it's kind of like going from ff7 to ff7 remake they didn't need to do what they did with ff7 remake they could have just made it a better like a, a current looking a, like the yeah. exact same thing for that they released in 98 whatever it was and and uh you know they just like completely went in a completely different direction but uh to go back uh i mean to the question but also to what you were saying brendan about like the zelda formula being so formulaic uh but adding in these new elements i think that is the kind of thing that paper mario could have benefited from a bit yeah. Um, because, you know, totally. Totally. going from Paper Mario to Thousand Year Door is, is I think the stuff that they add in Thousand Year Door is just like the paper powers, like the ability to, to go from, you know, flat to like really thin, or you can eventually like turn yourself into a spring or whatever. Mm. Like, I think that addition of features in the Paper Mario games is really good. And like, that's all those games kind of need. And then even going to Super Paper Mario, like they didn't need to get rid of the turn-based combat in that game. Like you could have kept the combat and still had the the 2d 3d swap and i think that game you know I, I, the fact that it is like homaging the original platforming mario and stuff i get i get that yeah but i still think there's a world where like you keep the combat and stuff from the first two paper marios and bring it into super paper mario because the combat and stuff in these games i think is good and it's yeah, it really unique as it's well it's unique right and it seems so weird to be like we're gonna take this integral part out of this series add in a whole other wild gimmick which like i think the 2d 3d thing is is really good but the fact that they take out such a huge chunk of what makes paper mario like a fun thing to do and i guess maybe at that point they were trying to lean into the mario luigi stuff for in in that respect but but steven like you said earlier even that combat is is not the same 
uh, as the Paper Mario stuff. But it's just, uh, I, I think this philosophy was to the detriment of the Paper Mario series uh, in a lot yeah. of ways. I think this is an example of a thing that you get lost. And Mario and Luigi as a series existing is almost an acknowledgement that they went too far with Paper Mario. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because I think even with the leap from Skyward Sword to Breath of the Wild, the core of Zelda, they they properly identified. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like what is like the core of the Zelda experience, which essentially was founded on this idea of exploring mm -hmm. yeah. and returning to that. Whereas the core of Paper Mario is ironically not that like he's paper, as we've <laughs> said many, many times. And I think to their defense, it's actually kind of hard to identify what the core sure. is because the combat is great. But so is the story and the writing and all that. And like. Mm -hmm. You can make a case that that is the more important thing to pursue, which they did. It's as simple as like this combat is so good. It is wild to just abandon it yeah, entirely. Yeah. Like imagine making this system and be like, and that's just never going to happen again. <laughs> really strange. All right. This next one comes from at Shelly Bookworm on Twitter. What do you think the N64 version had that the others haven't really been able to capture as well? And I think we kind of touched on this a little bit just now, but yeah, I, I think my my answer would be the the whimsy and the sincerity. Yeah. I I think that like the the scripts get stronger later on, but I think there's there's a Dragon Quest sense of adventure that I really like in this N sixty four version. Yeah, I would say the, the sincerity in these game in in this game is really great, and the fact that like you know th there are jokes and stuff about it being like a Paper Mario game, whatever. Like that stuff is in there, but it never feels like it's like making fun of itself, really. Um, and like, yeah. that's never the, the, the thrust of a joke. Usually, um, you know, they are just like funny jokes <laughs> and also they are made of paper, you know? Yeah. This next question was asked basically in one way or another by several people. So I just combined it into yeah. one. Uh, who's the best partner? Who's your favorite partner? And then there's a, a from Jack's Yaks, uh, on Twitter, favorite and least favorite companion, both in and out of battle or just by vibes. I love the distinction between like who's the best and who's your favorite mm -hmm. and also who's most helpful in and out of battle. Mm -hmm. This question was so inspiring to me that I actually made my own form of giving all of them point values. I love this. Which is never really in my energy, so I'm not sure what happened to me. <laughs> but I do have an answer for this, but I want to hear you two first. Wait until they hear this episode, Stephen. When Cooper hears this episode, he's going to be so insulted. <laughs> I bet Cooper listens to ITA. That's kind of yeah, cool. I think he does. Uh, I can go first because I feel like mine is going to be uh, pretty simple. But mine, sure. uh, La Lady Bo is just like far and away the best yeah. companion that I, I met along my journey. Uh, by vibes? Maybe Cooper. Mm, yeah. I don't know. He wants he wants to also be an explorer. I love that. He loved Colorado. He like geeks out the way Goombario does when he meets Colorado. And I loved that. That was, yeah. that, was that was a nice little like spurt of personality from Cooper. I, I enjoyed that. His design looks like a shonen protagonist, which I love. Like, he has the like bandaid on his cheek and yeah. the neck where he look he looks like a main character that gets three lines of dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think so my favorite companion in battle, I it used to be Bombette. She's great. She's great. Her bomb powers are wild. Um, yeah. But this run, I've really been using Bo a lot in battle. Her smack attack and her fan attack are <laughs> wild. They are so good. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also the fact that it's on Switch and and the fa uh, the way you charge her attack is by slamming the control stick to the left, which was hard to do on the N64, but so stupid easy on the Switch. Um, so I, you know, you get 100% and she does 10 damage for like three FP to a single enemy. Uh, it's really great. I think by vibes, um, honestly, I think Sushi has really great vibes. She's just like, I mean, you meet her when she's like trying to protect the Yoshi kids and stuff, but she's like pretty 
chilled out and you get to just like float around in the water. It's a great, it's a great vibe, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm going to give you two a choice. You can either just hear who my favorite is <laughs> and, and the rank, the, the total rank here mm. of points, or I can walk you through each one as, as briefly as possible. I look, just do all of it. I don't know. You did all this preparation. I feel like you should you should lay it out all on the table. Yeah. Give us the whole thing. Give us the whole thing. So I, you know, every for a lot of bonuses, we're usually asked questions about the cast, you know, like who's your favorite, make a tier list, all that, all that fun stuff. And in this Google Doc I made, it begins with the sentence, this is inherently silly. So I just want to level set with that. But two, I wanted to see if I could actually like almost even independent of my opinion, see how I truly felt. So I have five categories here. Each of the five categories can get a point value between one and four one being weak two being average three being good and four being great and the five categories are design my opinion of their character design and aesthetics this is just aesthetic value if they if they look cool use in battle my opinion of how powerful and useful they are in battle which is just my opinion i haven't studied the code of the game i don't know who's secretly the best this is just based on my playthrough <laughs> use out of battle how helpful and consistently helpful their out of battle ability is sense of character uh spoiler alert no one scored very well on this <laughs> overall how well do we get to know them do we ever get an idea of who they are is there potentially any connection to the plot? And then five is personal preference. How much do I subjectively like them or like using them? So you can get a total of 20 points or a total of five if you get a one in every category. So 20 is the goal. Gumbario uh, averaged out of 15. I gave him a three in design, a two in battle, a four out of battle, a three of character and a three of preference. So he scored pretty pretty well. The big thing is that he's just not very strong in battles and, you know, at a certain point you're not going to use him. But I think Tattle is such a cool ability and does give him so much character that I had to give the use out of battle a four. Yeah. Uh, so he gets a 15. Cooper gets a 16. Ooh. I gave his design a four. You got the, the neck wear, the bandage, the cool pose. He looks mm -hmm. sick. Use in battle, I also gave a four. He is limited by not being able to attack air enemies. But once you upgrade him, the fire shell and dizzy shell are great. And most enemies are on the ground. So like Cooper's usually going to be helpful. So I gave him a four. Use out of battle, I gave a three. A lot of the out of battle powers are usually to solve one-off puzzles. But his come up enough that like you usually have to switch to him to like reach far away items or blocks. And also you can use him to get a first strike, which I did a lot. Mm -hmm. So that, that is very helpful. Sense of character. I gave a two because the guy has like 10 lines of dialogue in the whole game and, and personal preference. I gave a three because I do like him and I like using him. Bombette. I gave her design a two. I think Bombette is cool, but I do think it's like, it, it feels like the most stereotypical way to make a babam look feminine, mm -hmm. you know? Like didn't, didn't love it. Uh, use in battle four. I love, I love her in battle. Use out of battle. I gave a two again, just sort of one off puzzles mm -hmm. sense of character. I gave a one. I don't know who Bombette is. She never tells us anything about her. And, and I truly cannot give her one adjective of, of her personality, the personal preference. I gave a four cause I love her in combat. So she gets a 13 in total. Perry Carey, 
design for Porco Rosso pilot attire. I'm going to fall in love. Use in battle for uh, just incredible air raid is unhinged. It's like an all out attack from Persona, but just him. Use out of battle three. You can fly around. Very cool. Sense of character, unfortunately, is a two. Again, he's a mailman. That's all we're given. He's a kind of a, a, a clumsy guy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the personal preference four. So 17 in total. Now we're at Lady Bo. Design, four. Use in battle, four. Use out of battle, I did give a three. So she's not a perfect 20. The use out of battle is helpful to avoid enemy encounters, but it's also just sort of one-off puzzles. To get a four and out of battle, I want to be using it all the time. Sense of character, four. Personal preference, four. Bo, 19. Watt. Uh, Watt is interesting. Design, three. Little baby. Light bulb. Cute. Use in battle, three. Use out of battle, one. I often would switch to Watt in an area where I'm like, this feels that like there's a hidden item here. I would switch to Watt to find a hidden item and there would never be a hidden item. <laughs> Watt's power is a waste of time. One. <laughs> Sense of character, two. This is a baby, Stephen. <laughs> Jesus. Sense of character, two. Personal preference, two. I, I like Keep Watt, but Watt, <laughs> Watt gets a total of 11. Sushi also gets an 11, just twos across the board, but three for use in battle they're just a fish i do like their intro but then it just stops mm. i don't know who sushi is mm. 11 lack of Lester is uh this is a bit unfair because i didn't get to his chapter <sighs> in my recent playthrough but i do think he has a bit of like garfield motivational poster energy in his design so i gave his design a two <laughs> even though i do like his shades use in battle is also a two you get him so late and all he can do is the cloud nine thing which is like whatever it's like a lamer version of bow's ability mm. use out of battle three Finally, you can get around fast. Uh, yeah. Love that. Sense of character, two. Personal preference, one. I don't like the hang in there. It's a Monday energy. Ten for lack of luster. Wow. So that gives Bo in the lead with 19. Mm. Next up, Perry and Cooper with 17 and 16. Then Gumbario and Bombette with 15 and 13. And Sushi tied for second to last with 11. And then Lackluster at 10. Mm. So in short, I don't dislike anybody. But I do think the, the main issue here is that we never really get to know anybody except for Lady Bo. Mm -hmm. Which is why she's so high for me. But. And that Wad is a baby. And you don't like <laughs> babies. <laughs> Scientifically speaking. So yeah, Bo is, Bo is my favorite. And Lackluster can take a hike. Uh, that, that's my answer. Wow. I'm glad you answered everyone's question with as much detail as you could possibly provide. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you're Thank happy, you. everyone who asked that question. <laughs> uh, I'm excited to do that with Thousand Year Door because I, mm -hmm. I, I can't help but feel like we'll have a stronger cast. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully mm -hmm. my points will, will carry more weight yeah. in the future. Uh, I do want to touch on something, but I think I can touch on it. With this next question from Ethan from the Discord, uh, aside from some indies like Bug Fables, there haven't been a lot of games that I know of that have captured the unique vibe or experience of Paper Mario. Why do you think that is and what elements of the series do you think are most important in capturing that spirit? Uh, and the thing I wanted to touch on was the side characters or the NPCs in this game that are uh, Intelligent Systems originals <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. who are not, are not related to Nintendo. And I think part of what creates the vibe and experience of Paper Mario is the fact that you're surrounded by so much familiar Nintendo IP. So, you know, there's their toads all around. There's the booze. There's all this stuff. But then randomly in the background, you'll see these interesting characters like the guy who's fishing at the lake right outside when you, when you go to Lava Lava Island who has a wild accent. But there's also a guy right before the docks who looks like 
he looks like he's like a person hiding under an umbrella and you put like clothes on top of the umbrella to like hide your your appearance. I just really don't know how else to describe this. And he's got this like huge kind of like platypus bill or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His name is Chet Rippo. Uh <laughs> And that's a Star Wars name. And when you talk to him, he's, he tells you, oh, I can up one of your stats. Uh, normally yes. it costs 390 coins. But for you, my friend, that's 39 coins. And you can pay this guy 39 coins to basically level up one of your stats. But then what he doesn't tell you is that he levels down another stat. So you could get yourself five more HP and lose three BP or get yourself, you know, five FP and lose five HP, something like that. So I think the characters like Chet Rippo, there's a character that you meet in the sewers named uh, uh, Rip Cheeto, uh, who is is a guy who just like uh, will give you unique items for 64 coins each. Uh, he's fine. And then there's characters like Chuck Quizmo, who is just yes. this weird purple and orange worm who wears a top hat and shows up. And when you talk to him, he goes, quiz. And then it turns into a quiz. You show. told me that I remind you. You of give him. me Chuck Quizmo energy. <laughs> if I, if I, every time he showed up and said quiz, I heard you saying it. I appreciate just that. the energy that those characters bring to this game outside of just like the weird new toads, uh, uh, I think is just so specific to something that has such an ingrained IP that it's like really hard to capture in other games. Uh, like if this is like a Final Fantasy seven, you know, paper, we're playing paper cloud or something. And just like in the background of like Tifa, like in the background of the bar where you're you're with like uh, Tifa and Aerith uh, and stuff, just in the background, there's just a worm who wants to ask you questions. <laughs> like, I feel like that level of of notable IP uh, uh, is is kind of what creates this vibe in the world of paper mario for me at least yeah i think you're onto something i mean i think that a lot of the older final fantasies do have this kind of non sequitur sense of humor Mm. and some of the like background characters but i think it doesn't inform the world as strongly as it does here Mm. and i think that like I, i i think this goes back to you know mother as a series and the mario rpgs as a series showing that it doesn't have to be traditional fantasy to be an rpg and you can have the same sense of mystery and wonder in the mario kingdom or a strange like peanuts-esque suburb as long as you let your imagination run wild you know I i think that that's like that's the spirit of these games to me is kind of like proving that you can extend the definition of RPG and any game that does that. I I do relate to mother and and paper Mario Mm. and the games that have followed. The thing about paper Mario is I feel like right now, the current state of the franchise with origami King is the most aesthetically pleasing and best written version of this that I've played at least. And I think breaking that combat out of the franchise has made it lose a lot of what makes it really sing for me and splitting that off into Mario and Luigi, which now no longer exists because it didn't sell well enough, just kind of means that there's like a dearth for this. So when I think of other games that want to capture the unique vibe or experience of Paper Mario, I just think of any game that like can get put together that just recombines those two things together and i know that's like easier said than done yeah obviously it's not easy to go make a thing that's that successful but nintendo has the two halves there specifically split them off and then killed one of them (laughs) so (laughs) 
all it would take is an enterprising individual to say, I'm going to recombine these two things together. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's doable. I think I think I think a game like that is in our future. Is it a sequel to Bug Fables? Maybe. I would yeah. love to see a thousand year door version of Bug Fables because I fell off of Bug Fables really fast yeah. once the veneer of like, wow, this is so cool. It's exactly like Paper Mario. And then I was like, oh, this is just exactly like Paper Mario. The thing about Bug Fables that I remember that made it a little bit hard again, too, is that in Paper Mario and in Mario and Luigi, if you time a button press when you're attacked you can if you get the timing right you can defend and you'll take less damage and that's usually done as like a bonus like you don't need to do that but if you do that you're going to take less damage and, and have an easier time coming back in bug fables you have to do that or you're yeah. dead so there's there's just like some little little tweaks that are like a, a slightly off the mark that kind of it prevented me from loving it as much as i wanted mm. to mm. um but it's still a great game i do feel like the mario and luigi games really did kind of take the baton and run with it in a really totally. interesting and cool way. I mean, those, those games are so successful, at least all the ones that I've played, mm. which is, I guess, most of them at this point. They're so good. And it's such a disappointing thing that Nintendo has decided to axe that side of things yeah. because it really is giving the people what they wanted. Yeah, I, I hope they reconsider that. I know the like studio that was making them doesn't exist anymore. So that would obviously make it very difficult to continue that franchise. Mm. But I think if if anything else those games taught me that i really do like this style of play specifically and i like this style of humor matched with this style of play and there's there's an appetite for it yeah. clearly yeah absolutely i love the world of these games and in the the superstar saga just being like oh there's a kingdom of all mushrooms there's also a kingdom of all bean people like that being the main, yeah. the main <laughs> thrust of superstar saga is like you're in the bean kingdom now i think is just so yeah. it's such a baseline idea that is just done so well and it's awesome and and yeah it's just missing from from this kind of this kind of thing Give me more beans. More beans. That's what I keep saying. <laughs> uh, our f- what can capture the spirit? Beans. More beans. <laughs> uh, our final question here today on the episode is from Chris Plant from uh, the Besties, Resties, and Polygon. If we think of all the Mario games as part of an ongoing episodic series, what would a rewarding final episode look like? This is a hard question because it's all the Mario's. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I, I think if, if we're if we're choosing pre-existing games, I feel like Inside Story is a great finale to this, you know, because I think at the center of all these games <clears throat> is this Bowser always loses and he's sick of it. You know, that that's always the inciting event of all these yeah. games. Sometimes even Mario Party is, is that where he's like, <laughs> I'm in charge. And I think Inside Story uh, gives him a well-needed reflection and and thrusts him into the role of hero that he never really accepts like he's never really fully redeemed but i think it's like an interesting way to patch everyone together so if i had to choose like a game that already exists that is like narrative focused i would say that that like makes sense as the last mario lore arc (laughs) but we can get crazier with this if we wanted the last mario I'm of two minds about this because on one hand, I do see a lot of the Mario sports games as the epilogue to my own headcanon Mario chronology, like (laughs) Bowser opting to wear what he wears to go play golf in the newest Mario golf (laughs) implies a Bowser who has retired uh, and has decided that he wants to hang up, you know, his evil ways uh, and just like enjoy a round of golf with his now friends who he realized like, Maybe he shouldn't have been fighting all this time. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it implies a reformed Bowser in a way. So I do feel like we're already seeing, you know, like the next phase in a way. 
But I do think there's something interesting there, Stephen. I think there's something interesting in this idea of like seeing that reformation happen. I keep thinking about Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, not to make this like actually serious, but like I keep thinking about <laughs> Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart and how fascinating that game mm-hmm. is as like a deconstruction of hero and villain stories. Yeah. And taking the idea of this is a little bit of a tangent, but one of the first things I did when I started working at Marvel was I tried to just kind of acquaint myself with a lot of what the team that I was joining was doing with places like Marvel.com and on YouTube and things like that. And they have written on Marvel.com full like character bios for most of the characters that have ever appeared in Marvel comics. And one of the first things I did was go and read Mysterio's because he's one of my favorite characters in Marvel comics. And I was like, I want to read like Mysterio's entire comics history in one page. And I did that. And I was laughing so hard that I cried. (laughs) Because when you read any villain's one page report on their entire life, it's a cavalcade of failure. It's like just this farce of a person who is continuing to try and do the dumbest thing possible to take down a superhero when inevitably they can never win. They can never, ever win. So Mysterio's is like, you know, he starts off trying to convince Spider-Man that he's four inches tall. And obviously that's not going to work out, you know? (laughs) And then he like gets right back up on the horse and tries to do something equally <laughs> dumb next time and again and again and again and again and has never won in his entire history. And I feel like Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart kind of looks at that idea, looks at the idea of saying that the villain can never win and says, what if we put you in a universe where the villain always wins? Mm. And yeah. I feel like Bowser either needs to find that universe for himself or he needs to acknowledge that he can't win because he's the villain of the story. He needs to look inward eventually, which is kind of where Bowser's inside story eventually almost takes him, but doesn't quite go all the way with it. I, I need I don't need it. But because Chris Plant asked the question, I will say I need to see that for me to feel like I've had a, a complete wrap up of Bowser's growth into I'm going to go play golf. I'm going to ride uh, a, a go kart around. <laughs> I guess my theory is uh, not even theory, but my read on the Mario Kart franchise because of all of the like product placement and stuff that's all over the place is like they have made all of this money from all of the various games where they collect coins and they have invested that in like starting their own like race car league. So like Bowser's got his own like Bowser's got his own like <laughs> racing league that he's that he's dealing with over here. He's got like an F1 thing. Are we just playing as <laughs> Are we just playing as the 1% racing around for fun in Mario Kart? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, you okay. are. Paper Mario is you as the 1% running around and experiencing what the rest of the world lives like. It's a, it's a village of Goombas or like it's a village of Koopas getting absolutely bodied by a bunch of like fuzzy weird things. Shit. You know, like that's that's how the rest of the world is living. Mario is able to jump and collect coins and invest in stock options and F1 racing and going and playing golf and tennis and whatever. But the Koopas have to have to abide by just getting like their home ruined by fuzzy little scribbles. It's a me. I spent the weekend with the Baron at Moomoo Meadows. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Laundering money through the construction of Baby Park. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. get it. My final episode is uh, all the Mario people get together and they fight Sans from Undertale because Smash Bros. (laughs) Thank you. There is like at least a 78% chance that that already exists somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not going to Google while we're recording. I mean, Super Mario Brothers Z (laughs) does exist. Choose your finale, Chris. I hope you're happy with what you've summoned. (laughs) 
Uh, and that's all of them. That's all the questions. So that's all the questions. Thank you yeah. all again. I for like these answers, actually. I like that we each came at it from a very different <laughs> angle. Steven, your thing was like it already exists and you can go play it. And it's on the Nintendo DS. My thought was it already exists in in our minds because we've already seen the epilogue and aj you just invented one <laughs> <laughs> i think we covered all the bases we've done there. i love that yeah wow good job team yeah aj thanks for joining us i am just so delighted that you asked me on i i audibly gasped when i got the the message that was like hey do you want to come on our episode to talk about paper mario <laughs> um that was the quickest i ever spent 35 dollars to upgrade my nintendo uh, online account ever in my life uh so thank you it was so a much. it was a blast replaying and, and revisiting with you both and honestly now i feel like it's the inciting event of our thousand year door adventure so it sure is i'm sure i'm sure whether it's a bonus or not i'm sure we will talk more about that someday soon yeah. but yeah this is this is so much fun and i i uh i had a blast talking with you both about it yeah yeah likewise aj where can we find you on the internet oh, where are you man. available what are you doing i up? i am a podcast producer as a job uh so you can find me on twitter at aj Faleri. you can find my work on into the aether i also produce and host another podcast called asynchronous uh with my very good friend kim uh we are at async pod we play through video games that we uh missed in the past uh that people have been telling us to play right now we're playing through mass effect 2 which i have never played before i'm having a Hell great yeah. time uh we have played 13 sentinels and fire emblem three houses and mass effect one uh in our previous seasons so that's all there if you want to check that out Again, at Async Pod on Twitter. Uh, I also host and produce a show called Ten Very Big Books, which is about reading through the Malazan Book of the Fallen series. Uh, very specific, but we go through like three, <laughs> two to two to four chapters every episode, just doing a read through. Uh, people have said that it has gotten them back into the series after they fell off after a few books because these books are dense and they are hard to read. So it's a good show if you want to read a big dense fantasy series. Uh, we're about to start book nine at the beginning of October. Uh, and that's at 10 very big books on Twitter. I have already said that I'm at AJ Falleri, Uh, and I think that's, that's all of them. Nice. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Uh, into the Aether, you can find on the internet at intothecast.online. We have Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch, the whole deal. We also have a link to the Discord that you can join there. We also have a link to the Patreon on there as well. Thank you all so much for what's up. I forgot about Frog of the Week. My oh, bad. Yeah. Uh, I produce a, 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 a weekly show about frogs that's like three minutes long. Uh, it's different frog every week. You can follow that on Twitter at Weekly Frog Pod. Sorry, continue. <laughs> no, I love it. I feel like Little Oinks in Toad Town has Frog of the Week. Energy, I can't fucking you know? believe we didn't talk about Little oh, Oinks. We didn't talk about Little Oinks at all. <laughs> the, I, I feel like we should have a Little Oink of the Week. You know? <laughs> I like oh the one God. with the question marks on it. I like the Starry Night Oink. <laughs> <laughs> I like opening the gate and having all the Oinks run away. One one thing I'm not, I don't want to answer it, and nor could I even. But it's it's worth stressing that the little oinks are the only three dimensional creatures <laughs> in Paper Mario. Yeah, yeah. Just just put it out there. Anyway, Frog of the Week is wonderful. Thank you. Patreon.com/slash Into the Cast <laughs> is where you can back the show. Thank you so much, everybody who has done that. Uh, we are still making our way towards our goal of two thousand dollars a month. Uh, and if we hit that, we will do a big bonus episode about the nintendo 3ds and its library including games like mario and luigi paper jam 
uh, which I am very excited to finally check out. Yeah. And I just want to say uh, uh, on the show, uh, uh, thank you to everybody who has uh, contributed to the Patreon, because uh, at the uh, season opener, <laughs> there was a call to uh, get to 1500 so that we could pay me my full rate. Um, and I know where like y'all hit that goal so fast and it has made honestly such a difference in the last couple of months uh, of, of my life. So I'm really, really super, super grateful uh, to you guys for putting the call out and for everybody listening to uh, uh, for sending money my way indirectly. Uh, <laughs> I love you all. Thank you. Hell yeah. Totally. We love you too. Cool. Well, that's that's it. That's the episode. Uh, Paper Mario <laughs> is available on the nintendo switch if you pay nintendo monthly (laughs) yeah you have to pay nintendo every single month for the privilege of playing paper mario (laughs) and also some other games like comic yes no comic zone isn't even there yet wave ray 64 dr mario i will end Uh, this episode with with a looming threat though uh while we were recording sega announced that they're making a comic zone movie or tv show no way yeah wow i know anyone else like talked or thought about comics i know i thought it was just us (laughs) yeah i mean hey i'll watch it sketch turner's back baby put sketch turner in smash did sketch turn i'm not not, let's just end the episode (laughs) bye (laughs) bye thanks for listening bye so long Thinking about Spewart. TWG, the worst garbage, the online.